Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. Altis, that is his name? Indeed, Motep answered, parting the robes he wore to sit upon the bunk in his chamber. The Astartes armor had been removed during his time in the medic bay. There it lay still, with the rest of the thousand sons of Kutramal. Cestus noted, however, that Motep still wore the scarab earring, glinting in the depths of his cowl from the ambient light in the room, and remained hooded throughout the exchange. What else did you learn? What did the word-bearers plan to do? Flamasca is where it begins, Motep answered simply. Cestus made an incredulous face. The second moon of Macrag. It's a barren rock. There's nothing there. On the contrary, Ultramarine, countered Motep, lowering his head. Everything is on Flamasca. I don't understand, said Cestus. Motep lifted his head. His eyes were alight with crimson flame. Then let me show you, he said, as Cestus recoiled, lunging forward to thrust his open palm against the ultramarine's head. How did Lee do? That was Dave Witek reading from Battle of the Abyss. Yes, it was, and that's Greg Dan letting you know what we're finishing up today here on After Ullinor, the Horus Heresy Book Club. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Greg. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yourself? Not bad. Looking forward to this. Kind of finishing it up. We've gotten some I've gotten some fun feedback already. Yeah, I was going to we had some on the on the Facebook page. Um I think if you didn't like the first one, then I can't see this one being much different. <laughs> Personally, I think we actually on I think some of the critical comments we were um we're not necessarily how I see it. Uh, and in general, I think we've had a positive response. Yeah. I mean, most of it's positive. In fact, the one thing I got was uh, my Rotor. You know my friend uh, Andrew yeah. D. Camp Rotor. Rotor's like, dude, you just did two and a half hours on a book you don't like, and it's not even done yet. I was like, seriously? I'm like, well, you know, there's a lot there. I mean, and we're not skipping anything. I mean, we did get one or two people who felt we were making fun of it a bit much, but... Honestly, and we'll talk about that more in the feedback section, I guess, but I think we're giving this a fair shake. I mean, for what it is and for how many people went there in are, it. There are bits of it that are, that are decent, you know, or or that, you know, could be decent, as it were. You can see what is trying to happen, and I think we point that out. So. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's not every book in the series is going to be a favorite, and... You know, we're we're doing our best with with a book that we we didn't, we, you know, it, neither of us favorited. Let's put it that way. And uh, you know, we're being honest, and I think we're being fair, and that's that's all we promise to do. You know, yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's exactly it. And I think I think you're, I think what we're doing is better than maybe a lot of people kind of thought we would. Um, or think the book deserves as well. So, yeah. So, like I said, I I had I will admit I'm actually having more fun reviewing it than I did reading it. But it's kind of fun 
with someone, you know, when the two of us have both read it, where we can sort of pick out points. It's like, well, this is really cool, but, you know, then we get more of this. And I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to shy away from it. Nope. And if you don't like it, you know what? Guess what? Mechanicum's next, and it's freaking awesome. So <laughs> just get ready for the next book because uh, that's really good. I've already started a little bit of my notes on that one. Um, I can't wait to talk about that one. But that's not the topic at hand. The topic at hand is Chapter 11, Part 2, the second half. 12, yeah. Oh, did we do Chapter 11? No. We did. Oh, okay. If we did Chapter 11. Oh, that's right. We said let's get that one last chapter because it was 21. And we went over Dude, I haven't listened to it since I edited it, so I apologize for that. So Chapter 12. All right. So that's mine. Okay. <laughs> let's get rolling, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, chapter 12, uh, Sirens, Scream in Silence, and Here Be Monsters. All right, so uh, I love this. Cestus is watching Motep, and like you hear Ultis just screaming and screaming, you know? And like most pe- like no one else is even standing around anymore. Like they leave. Like the other people, unless, they're, unless they have to be there as a guard, they, they're gone. Like, even the other Space Marines don't want to listen to this because it's just, like, unnerving, which I kind of thought was kind of cool. You know, like, really, this is so bad that it unnerves one of these guys. And attracts attention of uh, the deckhands who are passing by the patrols, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, Because they're fearing another warp attack. Yeah. Uh, He's worried away, uh, yeah, worried armsmen. He's ordered them away. So, yeah, it's, it's it's not very good. Yeah. And and the, and they are under attack. Sirens had been launched from the abyss uh, at them. And Cestus and the other Astartes are going to try to fight off the stuff that the abyss has launched at them. Um, and then you get into a little bit about the warp here, how you can't understand it. Things constantly change form. They're converging from all over space and time and place. Um they want to feed on the emotion and forces. I, I love that. And that that's both in fantasy and 40K. Whenever you read, like when they try to describe the warp, I mean, other than all the things where things are being created and destroyed all at the same time, how it's utter, well, okay, chaos in the in the form of chaotic, not the, the gods of chaos. It, it is a chaotic place. Um, but I, I love the, the whole thing about how they feed off our emotions, which is why they... They're coming, they, you know, which, the, well, we got that in uh, Legion. The human race is like, we're like a fine meal to them. Like, they just, they're constantly coming through. And there's that whole thing. If if we're gone, uh, chaos loses a lot of its strength because it feeds on on the rampant emotions of humans. And that comes up in, in Warhammer Fantasy as well as 40K. And I, I kind of like that. I like when they, whenever you bring that up. It's always sort of sort of interesting. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. And we get to see loads more Griblies. Um, I've written in here that we've got, um, you know, the warps full of previously thought to be myths, these things that are now kind of come. <laughs> right. So um, there's a real naivety about the warp across the whole Imperium. Which you got to, I blame, you got to blame the Emperor. So, or, or thank the Emperor, whatever you, however you consider it. Uh, that's still one of those questions that keeps coming up to me. And, uh, you know, and people ask it all the time, and I know it's one of those noob questions like, you know, 
when are we going to hear about the lost Primarchs? Um, but that question, how come the Emperor didn't tell anybody? You know, who, you know, whatever. I just, it, you know, I, it, it's still, I'm always looking. I, whenever I read a new book, I always look to see if there's a clue as to what the Emperor is thinking. Because that's, that's actually one of the more fascinating things to me. It's like, why didn't you tell people? But you can, if, I mean, if you're on any of the 30K forums, there's usually a thread about this. And if you look at a lot of stories as we go on, Particularly, there was a short story released not very long ago, so we're talking quite far into the series, that gives some real insight into exactly why it wasn't so open as it was before. But um, as we go through the books, we'll discover a few more secrets, oh, and and then you can extrapolate again off that. So, Oh, good. Well, give me a heads up when that's coming. Uh, so, okay, so then you're up on the land stack, and one of the crew falls to his death, and then... Uh, and then it's like John Carpenter's the thing, you know. He just transforms thing style, like you know, you know, body parts start to pull, tear, twist, bones start to pop, tentacles start to pour out of the thing, and it just starts killing. It's this big black monstrous thing, and they're shooting it, nothing hit. They hit it with promethium, and that seems to work. And promethium is like what? It's like napalm, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's a fuel uh, they use a lot, and also using the burning. It's made up by Dan Abnett. I like it. I mean, I like the, t- you know, obviously going back to Prometheus, but just the idea, you know, I, I love some of the names that Dan Abnett comes up with for this stuff. It just, it's got that weird, I guess, what, gothic style almost, you know, yeah. to it, um, yeah. while still being futuristic. Gothic or Victorian. Yeah. It's usually one of those two or a mix of those two. And it just creates, yeah, a sense of ambiance that, that wouldn't be there if you just used, you know, you know, gas. Or something, or napalm, or, or whatever you're using, because promethium is a bit of a. It can, it's used quite a lot, right? Well, I mean, it's just funny how twenty eight thousand years in the future they're using all these sort of, like you said, these sort of Victorian terms. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bagging on it at all. You no, know, you got to pick a term. You know, it's like you know when people say, "How come Doctor Who just likes to hang out in twentieth century England when he's got the whole of time and space?" But I, I just, I like it. I really do. And have a lot of money. <laughs> Main reason is they don't have American budgets. Exactly. Well, I mean, let's face it: if he doesn't come to Earth sometimes and hang out with us, what's the what's the point? You know. Exactly. But, but no, I really like this whole uh, the description of the of the beast coming out again. We you know we were talking earlier that we I think we have given him some credit, Ben Counter, and I think what is it? Uh, it's it's page two pages, two and a half pages of really quite well written stuff. Um, with the 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 torn limbs, the flesh and viscera, and all that is actually quite well done. The description's good. Oh yeah, um, and shows why you know Ben Counter is particularly his forty k stuff you know, is seen as as quite good by a lot of people. Yeah. So, so then, meanwhile, Bringar and his wolves find and attack another one of the sirens. So all, this is all going on. Meanwhile, Motep. He breaks Ultis. He gets into his mind. And he's pretty much, I mean, but he, I mean, he basically raped his mind. The guy's a vegetable now. Um, apparently ripping out the thoughts out of someone's head uh, rather than allowing them in uh, peacefully is is uh, psychically damaging, I guess. is a... it, 
it's something that actually, if anyone's read any 40K, you see quite often. It's that kind of, and you see it in a lot of other sci-fi as well. It's like, this will go a lot easier if you just allow it to happen. Um, and it's used quite a lot with the psychic powers. You know, relax, let me do what I need to do, or I will forcibly take it from you, and that won't be a good thing. You know what I thought here? I mean, okay, maybe it's just a cheat, but but it's constantly in my head. I don't know why since they had him strapped down, one of them didn't just bite him. Like, bite him. Take a piece of him and eat him. Like, can't you get his memories out of his eating him, part of him? They don't like doing it, as we saw earlier. You know, oh, that's, okay, yeah. It wasn't nice for the guy to do it. And, and someone commented on this that space marines can eat other space marines, but they can do it to anything. It's not just the genetic code of a space marine that locks in the memories. They do it. They can do it with like, if you look through forty k, they do it with all kinds of beasts and things. But yeah, it's not something. It's something that they can't really get rid of. I think actually, I might have, I might be thinking of a book that I read. Yeah, it was another short story again um, that was released only a couple of weeks ago in the Heresy, where it occurs again, and it and it occurs with something that's not that's been tainted, shall we say. And and that space marine's like, yeah, this is not pleasant. You do not you don't you don't understand what I'm doing here. Oh, okay. I got you. It's a little bit like anyone who's read Harry Dresden when he opens his wizard site. Oh, okay. And what? it sticks. I see. That so, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, well, I mean yeah. I guess. And actually, you know what, do you remember uh I just in fact you said where you know, it's not just their gene seat. Do you remember that kind of horrible Schwarzenegger movie, The Sixth Day? Where, the, yeah. where he was a clone of himself. Yeah. And basically what they would do is they would get your genetic code and they could make a clone of you. And mm. you knew everything up to the... You remembered everything up to the point you were cloned. Sure. So if you... If like you, They would clone... They would, give, they would give over their cells on a regular basis because if you went too long... You'd, you'd forget. Stuff, you'd yeah. lose six months to a year, you know, but it was always... You yeah. just remembered up to that point, so... And that's an extrapolation off of um, the genetic memory handed down by herd animals. Right. And baby sheep don't go near electric fences, even though they don't know that that electric fence gives them a shock, that kind of thing. So Yeah. All right, so let's see, what do we got here? Um, Cestus and the boys are trying to kill another one of the sirens. They get one, but there's others, and they're trying to get him. All this is going out. Um and then Motep shows up with his lance, and it's a, it's a big red light. And uh, they just all go away. And then he collapses, and it's like, oh, you're in trouble. Now you're in trouble, because <laughs> Bringar already didn't like you, and you just walked in front of everybody and shot a psychic blast at everything. Yes. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's one of those things, it's in 30k particularly, psychic powers against demons are just phenomenal as well. But yeah, he's, he's given the game away here. Although they all knew what he was doing, um, it's now they can't, you know, the, beforehand it was behind a closed door, but now it's right in front of everyone. Cestus can't really uh, ignore that. Yeah, so, and that's pretty much the end of chapter 12. So that rolls us into 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, and uh, visiting Skrull, we've got uh, on the Furious Abyss trying to <laughs> trying to kind of survive. Oh, stupid book. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's my iPad I'm talking about here. Right. Playing up and jumping pages and things. Uh, yeah, we've got him 
trying to hide in the biggest ship ever built <laughs> again. Uh, but him in less of his rage term, isn't he? Until yeah. until he uh, until he comes across. Um, Zadkiel, that's the one. But before we get there, there's a little bit of a passage I wanted to hit. I took a little notes on this because I like how he's moving through the abyss and doing all the damage and Zadkiel's trying to talk to him. But there's a great part in here because you don't get a lot of world eater stuff, you know. Uh, and when they do it, like, like I said, we said in the last episode, I like when you start to get other people's points of view on on the world eaters. You know, and they look, oh, my God, they're just a bunch of animals. And then you listen to them. And you, you sort of, I, I love getting insight into guys who everyone thinks are just wild animals and they're not, you know? Sure. And um, if you're following along in the, uh, in the paperback, uh, page 262, in a fleeting moment when Skrull had paused to try and get some kind of bearing, he thought of Antiques. The ultramarines believed themselves to be philosophers or kings or members of the galaxy's rightful ruling class. They did not appreciate the purity of purpose that could only be found in the crucible of war, as did Skrull's legion. They were the most concerned with forging their own empire around Macrag. Antiques had demonstrated his warrior spirit, though, fighting and dying in the cauldron of war, driven by simple duty. Skrull mourned his passing with a moment of silence, honoring his valorous deeds, and in that moment... He made a promise of revenge. I kind of like that. I like that he stuts back, getting his view of the Ultramarines. You guys think you're so awesome and all that, but you guys just don't get it. Yeah, and I don't think many many of them did, to be honest. Oh, no, and I think most people don't. I mean, that was one of the weirdest things I had to deal with when I was reading the original trilogy was that whole third book was, you know, sitting here having world eaters and and emperor's children who were the good guys you know what i'm saying and and weren't like the the monsters that i've seen of them when i'm playing 40k so i just i thought that was a, a little a bit of an interesting passage there so go ahead i'm sorry go ahead with uh with that's that's, that's the whole point isn't it yeah <laughs> bits about that yeah so we have um uh, zad kiel finding scrawl or, or them coming upon each other in the temple area <laughs> and uh, Skrull's first thing uh, Zadkiel's first thing to do is announce who he is yeah. which I, I don't know if that's I, I will give him some credit I think that's typical of Zadkiel but it's also typical of the style of the book yes this is me I am here um, which again you know is right down the end of the ship because I'm sure Skrull hasn't gone that far through the ship right it's, it's yeah again it's announcing through the whole place and i love his traitor horse son does your entire legion cower behind words <laughs> this this has almost got the best and the worst of this whole book in this <laughs> yeah because some of it's quite good the, uh, the reasoned argument from zag kiel shows him not to be quite so maniacal as as, <laughs> as he's portrayed at times um you know trying to reason with with scroll here you know, angron was a slave you know uh, that fact shames him. You're, you, you want to carry on being a slave? And it's like, I'm not a slave. It's like, yes, you are. Yeah, all that's going backwards and forwards, which I quite liked. We get a little bit of a look at um, uh, the, the um, Lorgar. That's the one. You know, yeah. Born on a world, well, landed on a world steeped in religion and, and corruption. And Lorgar cleansed it. And that's a, you know, 
that's that's where he fits in with his his religiosity. A lot of that was possibly through his upbringing on on um, Colchis. That's the one. So right. yeah, and then his final kind of gambit to bring him over and think because he doesn't. I don't think he wants to fight Skrull Really, um, sees him as a, as a good weapon is to offer him Brazen Tooth, Angron's former weapon. To show him that Angron's on their side, right? And yeah, he does this, and the emperor, the emperor, we worshipped him, and he turned his back on us. He mocks us just like he mocks you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was lucky that the weapon that was given from Angron to Lorgar made it to Zagkiel, which shows that Zagkiel must be really high up to have that happen. Because I'm sure Angron just doesn't. I'm sure Lorgar doesn't just give these things out to anybody, you know. Right, but um. But yeah, I love was, they have yeah they have Angron's chain axe there, the bra- brazen tooth, which is really cool because I thought he was going to pick it up and be like, okay, I'm taking this back, but it's like, no, nah, I could. He can't even use it. It's like no, but you know, it's it's big and heavy even for a space marine. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we get we get the bit I read out in the first one, you know, right? That you and your brothers will join us, blah blah blah, and, and Scrow <laughs> curls his lip. You talk too much. And that scroll to a, to a to absolutely. It's just the the buddy. He is in a starties of action. But seriously, I mean, when he walked up and saw, I mean, he happened to be right in the place. Look, he happens to be right in the place where Angron's gift of his weapon to Lorgar is there. I'm like, okay. I'm like, this is the part where he smashes open the case and takes it and says, "I'm going to use this. I'm going to shove it right up your butt." And. uh no, it's just like, no, nobody can wield that thing except Angron or another Primarch. It's like, don't even try it. It is too big and unwieldy. Yeah. There was a nice line in there. It was a sad line. His uh, thing is like, oh, if that's happened, then he'll, the Emperor will send the War Master. And it's like, oh, you forget that they don't know about this at the moment. Yeah. None of the good guys know what's going on. It's like, yes, all right, that can't happen. We'll send the War Master in and sort you boys out. Yeah, the Emperor will learn of your treachery. He'll send your brothers to bring you back in change. He'll send the War Master. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, then, okay, and when you get all that really cool part, then Zadkiel's laughter tumbled after him from the Voxcaster. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Therein lies our issue with the book. <laughs> yep. Bits and there's bad bits. And I, I just think it's not. That's a total. I pictured the, that like Dr. Evil where that laugh goes on too long in the scene and they don't cut the scene and they just keep doing the laugh until everyone sort of peters out and looks around at each other like, okay, what's next? <laughs> yeah. So after that, uh, Zagkio and um, Ikthalon have got <laughs> Antiti's body that they're preparing to use. Yes. In- in, a, in some kind of ritual, which is, is kind of that step beyond. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wasoric. So we, we are getting a little bit more of a clue that this uh, Wasoric character is, is probably not particularly nice. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we got uh, the, um, the warp bucking in, in kind of its... You know, unstableness as this is all going on with the raffle feeling the yeah the with it and and everything like that. Yeah, the abyss is shooting stuff behind it, messing up the warp in its wake, and they're riding right through it. A very choppy wake they're purposely creating. Yes. 
Um, Obviously setting up for like the final scenes. That's, that's a nice little setup. But then we're back to Cestus again, and he's left with a, a still knocked out Emotap. <laughs> yeah, he's still unconscious. Yeah. But Cestus has finally worked out that he's still using his psychic powers. <laughs> finally. finally. When he you know. jumps up and screams a spell <laughs> a word and blasts him with light from his fear. Oh, okay. I can't even turn. Even I can't turn my back on this anymore. <laughs> I mean, and, come on. I mean, he knew it before. Did I mean he knew it? Oh, he, he? he knew. Yeah, he, he knew, knew it. it. But he had to. As long as it wasn't blatant, he was doing whatever had to be done. He had no to act- get to McCrag. Yeah, he had no actual proof, and that's why the door stayed shut and everything else. I think. I think. Otherwise, yeah. it's poor. But I think it was one of those things where he distanced. It, he rationalized it himself. Um, but then. You know, we've got a space wolf on board, so if you're not going to do anything about that sidekick, then we're going to have a fight. And, they up and he, rips the, he rips the talisman, one of the chains of talismans, off his neck and whips it at the floor at Cestus' feet. You know, the, a nice traditional sign of challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, and they go at it. You're still chasing, a, you know, you're still fighting this thing, and the Admiral kind of says, this is madness, Kaminska. <laughs> She's like, this is madness. Yep. But they have an honor duel between uh, Lysimachius Cestus. That's an interesting name, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> no armor and no firearms. They're going at it the, uh, the Space Marine way. Yep, and he basically cut a, smine, a small... It was, they, they were to first blooding, and... And... Uh, the, the, savage, the savage warrior is beaten by the slightly more balanced and intellectual warrior. Right, yeah. It, he's, in fact, he's so enraged, he doesn't even realize he's been cut because he's yeah. going, he's like, wait, I got you. And he looks down, he's got this. I'm just picturing this small cut, you know, like a little line of, it's not even bleeding. Right, it's, but it's red because there's blood there, it, but it's not enough to actually cause a drip or anything. Yeah, we've all seen it. Um, but it's Cestus's book, I suppose. So it's it was just a bit bringing out, rolling out the cliches again. But yeah, at least it's over. Because um, when you're when you're desperately trying to stop this ship with your mates who've ended up being on it, of course the the duel can't wait till it's all over. But you know, yeah. But then, we, yeah. So let's jump. I guess we're in the fourteen then. Yeah, that takes us into 14 with Cestus wins. Oh, yes. Hunted. A single blow, and we are all alone. So, uh, Skrull is tunneling through the abyss, looking for some way to do the... He's just smashing everything he can find, like, without making too much noise and drawing people to him. He's just looking for stuff that will... Where can I cause the maximum amount of damage? So, how hard is it to find someone who's leaving a trail... Of smashed up stuff. Well, that's. I was starting to think maybe he wasn't actually leaving a trail. Like he's looking for stuff if it's really there's worth bit, smashing. There's a must be. A, I mean, Zadkiel knew where he was at one point. Yep. And there must be some form of pattern. I mean, well, okay, maybe not though, because I mean, he's not stupid. He knows he's being followed. If I smash this, I can't just keep continuing in the same line. I got to move. I mean, it is a big place. As long as you just go, you yeah, know. Well, on that ship, and you should be able to kind of cordon it off to an extent. You well, have, yeah, you but, should, but I mean, there's a lot of 
I kind of pictured it like you're downtown and I'm chasing you, and you, you know, the only way I know where you are is what you, when I come across something that you you smashed a window. Okay, now he was here. Which way did he go? It could be any direction. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. That's that's what I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that one. That's I mean, but I I didn't even think about it till you pointed out. Well, if that's the fact, why don't they cordon off? Of course, he is cutting through and running through the piping and stuff like that too, and tunneling through stuff. So, I mean, if. He, he is a space marine. If he doesn't want to get caught, oh, yeah, he's pretty wily. But you don't you don't tell me that your ship doesn't have ways of monitoring where people are, even at kind of the odd like, oh look, this piece of equipment's really important. Let's check those menials are doing things properly. That's uh, that's true. Okay, so what's up with that? What's up with that? All right, so I did have a little bit here. Uh, in fact, I had a question on this part. Um, all right, so. He's running through this place into the heat and fire. He'd passed arches of steel, vast throbbing engines, and force of cables so thick he needed to cut them down with his chain axe. It was in this manufactured hell that he'd found refuge. Bones lay on the lower decks, pounded to dust by pistons, though some were intact. They were the forgotten dead of the Furious's birth, sucked into machinery, or simply lost and left to starve or die of thirst in the ship's labyrinthine depths. What?! What the did, okay? I didn't get this. What the hell is this? First of all, there were people who were working on the ship who got lost and stuck, and the ship is so big that they couldn't even they they starved to death before finding somebody. Is that what I just read? Yes, and that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense when everything on the ship is connected by convenient tunnels. Uh, this ship is mahusive. Is it is it the biggest ship ever? Because I think they said that. I might have read that. It's the biggest ship of all time. <laughs> I think, like Dawn's flagship is like it was the biggest thing, and it's not even human based. It's blah blah blah. It's not even a proper ship. Right. But this thing is the biggest ship ever built by magnitude. Yeah, this has been said. Nothing. It's unique. It's mahusive. Bearing in mind that the Gloriana classes were, and I keep getting the numbers wrong, but circa twenty kilometers long. Right. So this and that; those are the those are the flagships. So that's your vengeful spirit. Um, so this ship is bigger than that. Dwarfs that, and has got a massive big book on the front. So also, it can't be just thin either. You know, it's got to be decent size. Um, yeah, you could easily get lost if, when they're putting it together, someone bolts on a panel in the wrong way, and all of a sudden, actually, we had a team down there working on that little bit that Jeff didn't tell Fred that they were down there. Uh, yeah, because it's like, I mean, the people getting sucked into engine parts and just getting crushed, and it's like, oh, where, where, where's Phil? Yeah. Nobody just knows. Think, just think about how many people were, were making it, for starters. But also think about in the first few books, particularly when we were talking about the the churches where hundreds of them were hiding in the vengeful spirit. Oh, that's right. That's right. There's a lot of areas deep down in where space marines don't go. You know, space marines don't go into the engine bits unless it's... You know, they go into the main engine bit, but they won't go around the other bits because they're not there to fix stuff. They have crews to do that. Okay. And, and mechanic and people to do that. You know, there's no need for them to be in the real dark bits where murders have. You've got to remember that a lot of the crews on these ships will never, like, they'll be born on the ship, they'll die on the ship, and they'll never leave the ship. So, as it goes through space, for, for years and years and years, there are, you know, there are, there are cities in themselves as well. There are murders and all kinds of things going on in these ships. Um, 
and the human populace of those. So, yeah, it, it could happen on a ship that is supposed to be that big, which just frustrates me when you're reading that Skrull just happens to manage to go from here to here. Um, <laughs> and, you know. I did like another part in here where he's, you know, Skrull's walking around and he, and he disengages the cataleptic node that allows him to be asleep while he's awake, which is really just kind of a cool thing. I wish I had one of those. Um, but then it gets through how he's got to do all this stuff and it took all his results. There were, there were just, there was someone walking around in front of him, like some of the human workers. And he was like, okay, I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to kill them. That's they're, they're, they're not, they're not a, a worthwhile target. Uh, to give away my position or whatever, and all this, he he needed to think to devise his next move. Not gifted with the tactical acumen of the sons of Gilliman or Dorn, Skrull was a pure instrument of war, brutal and effective. Yet now he needed a stratagem, and for that he required time: survival first, then sabotage. It was his mantra. I love him. I'm just picturing him going: survival first, sabotage, survival, sabotage. That's what makes. That's what made the World Eaters so cool. And later on, when we get to see the real version of Khan, not the one we saw getting run over by a Land Raider, um, his his whole thing is Khan is very much the linchpin of trying to keep the World Eaters on the straight and narrow. Are we, we, not, are we talking of, about the short story that comes up later? We're talking about Khan as he appears through the whole series. Okay. Um, and I'm... I'm not giving anything away, but Khan is very much, he, he's looking around him much like Garrow, much like Loken going, what's going on guys? You know, um, I mean, in the world eaters case, it's everyone's getting, everyone's kind of diving into these, this rage. And he's like, yeah, cool. The rage while we're fighting. Okay. But we need to control it a bit and we need to crack. Ah, I got you. How we're going to be. And scrolls going through this fight at the moment. And again, it's, it's quite good. Yeah. Then we jump back to Zadkill and Reskill, and they're checking out the room of one of the dead astropaths. They're looking for clues to the meaning of the visions she had, because uh, the, the message is from Cor Farron. And basically, the Ultramarines are almost all at Kalth, and we'll wipe them out if you just get there on time. Um, then we cut back to Cestus. He saw a little of Russ's fury when he was fighting Bringar. Ah, excuse me. Um, they're still driving through the warp. People are still dying occasionally because there's still crap getting through. Because let's face it, once it can get through in one place, they can't seal it all off. There, there's cracks in the system at this point. Yeah. Uh, he can't concentrate on his sparring. He's worried. Um, the, 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 the They've been traveling for two weeks now, and the Furious Abyss hasn't sent any more stuff to stop him. And he can't. He's like, something's not right. Why wouldn't they try? Um. There's a huge test of Cestus's faith here going on because you got to have a, a test of faith for your for your you know perfect noble character. He can't just walk through unshaken the whole story, or else he's not any fun. So we'll give him a little crisis here. Um, yeah. it, it, it appears that the uh, the Ultramarines have got quite a strict regime. Yes, and it almost feels more like they're 40k like battle monk style things like the space marines in 40k are very much battle monks um and they have this thing they do and if they're not fighting they will get up and do this for so much and, and you know meditate and right. and this yeah had a little bit of that feel to it and uh then Sephrax tells him to keep have faith and keep fighting and continue his regimen um this part here coming up i kind of like though is where he goes to see 
He goes to see Bringar. I actually wanted this to be my passage, but I couldn't find it uh, before we started recording. I, I really liked it. Um, let's see. Yeah, Bringar is sitting there and he's just getting drunk. You know, yeah. and just because he's he's just he's mad. He knows he knows he's right. He lost the fight, which to him symbolizes a little more. It's one of those things where he should have he he knew because he was right he should have won that fight. Yes, and not winning it is confusing. Like he knows he's in the right, and if it's a duel, of, you know, it's sort of like when you see those things in. Uh, do you remember the movie Excalibur, where they're yeah. fighting and someone challenges? Yeah, it's the old Lancelot's just, honor, so someone goes in and fights for the king, and it's like, well, whoever wins the duel is obviously right because they were given by God. Yeah, you see in the Game of Thrones, yeah, seven and all that. Yeah, so you get that, and it's just driving him nuts. And uh, he goes in there, and he goes, "You're my friend. I know you'll abide by the outcome of the duel." Uh, and he looks at, I'll hold no truck with warp dabblers. Keep him away from me or I'll visit my blade on his sorcerer's tongue. And if you stand in my way again, it will be no honor duel that decides his fate. And he looks at, I need your fight. I need the strength of your arm, the steel of your courage. And he's like, but not my counsel, huh? So, I mean, it's another, this is another one of those scenes from every movie where the guy, you know, th- that, that favorite guy, the big tough guy, the wharf or whatever, you know, like if you're going to go to Star Trek weapons, wharf has been, feels dishonored. And he's sulking, and they go in there to talk to him to try to bring him around. And he's like, okay, I'll fight for you because you. I have to. You won the fight. I'm honor-bound to fight for you. Um, but uh, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of sad. Not, to, you know, it's... It's quite... Yeah, it is. It is sad. You see, you see that breaking up, but you're seeing... Um, like, He's still keeping his honor intact whilst doing it, right. which is a big thing for the Space Wolves. And for anyone who don't know, the old, old story of how the Emperor came to um, Fenris was that he walked into the Great Halls as an old, older man and challenged Logan Grimnar to a set of challenges and beat him. Uh, not like uh, Lehman Russ, sorry, to a set of challenges and beat him in all the challenges. And at that point, Lehman, Ru- uh, Lehman Russ realized, kind of bowed his head and was like, yeah, no, I'll follow you. You're, you're, you're better than me. You're the one in charge. And, and that's why that they're kind of almost unwavering in their following of him because it's, it's that honor that went through. Yeah. It's kind of an echo of that kind of style of, of, of system. Right. Then Cestus leaves and he gets a call, Motep's awake. But before we get to him talking to Motep, there's a really, this part I liked, where uh, Bringar is sort of remembering the, the, the trials, the challenges that he has to go through on on uh, on Fenris. And, uh, yeah, his blooding, um, where they're sent out, basically they're dumped in the middle of <laughs> middle of the ice uh, mountains and told to get home and then all they're armed with is like a knife or something it reminded me almost like in the beginning of 300 where they throw their sons out there and say survive and they yeah. throw them out there naked and I just don't get how people survive in the cold like that no, no. I mean this is uh, the difference with this is they have lived in the cold 
quite like that for years. If you want to read more about this, like the Ragnar series of books, okay. they're very easygoing books, but it describes Ragnar Blackmane's journey from being a a normal human on Fenris to being selected, going through becoming a space marine. It's one of the very few times we actually see the whole process almost. Um, and then his journey is onwards beyond that. And, and this blooding happens in there as well. But, so, but now does this, the, the blooding, now does, does, does that happen just for people who have been chosen to be space marines? Or is this just a rite of passage for all Fenrisian boys? And- no. It's part of the. It's part of their first kind of intake. It's one of the challenge. I think it's the last challenge they have to do, where they're just dumped in the middle of the mountains by themselves. And right. up, if you get back to the Fang, you can be a space wolf. Yeah, and so yeah, it's one of those things. And it, I mean, the typical things. He finds the monsters. You know, he fights it. He kills it. He skins it. He makes clothes out of its skin. He eats it. He turns his bones into weapons. I mean, the whole nine yards. Um, they do get a, a nice part there, and this is the part that I really like. You know, he scaled the mountain when finally he saw the gates of the fang ahead. Bringar understood the lesson that the blooding was supposed to teach him. It was not about survival or fighting or even the determination required of an Astartes. Any prospective space wolf who made it to the blooding had already shown that he had those skills and qualities. The blooding's message was far harder to learn. We are all alone, Bringar muttered, having drained the last of his wolf's mead. So that's it. It's a, you have to. You're alone. <laughs> you have to. It's not about surviving and fighting. It's can you handle it? Can you handle the alone? Which I thought was kind of an interesting part. Yeah, because we got. It, it is interesting um, because we also have this uh, this this wolf and this wolf that's approaching him that is like part of his dream, but he's conscious of it. It's conscious of him kind of thing going on like a spirit animal or something but then it gives him a gun that like he didn't have before or something like that like i got a little confused is this thing real because i still get confused about the whole wolves of fenris thing there there are no wolves on fenris and that's a different book i i I get that but i mean i just whenever you read even i mean even reading the space wolves just their their codex there's a lot of that stuff in there i get confused yeah the 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 space wolf psychers will often have a a a wolf in their dream, um, or or a great wolf chasing them, or something like that. But this feels, I, I don't really know. This feels a little bit fuzzy. I I got a little bit lost in what this whole passage was supposed to be telling me. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't. I, there's some symbolism here, I think, yeah. and I, I don't think I caught it. No, I I think I think it's written. If you don't, if you take out of that fact that I don't quite know what I'm supposed to get from it, because um, there are a lot of things around lone wolves and the wolf and themselves, and then the journey, and you could read an awful lot into this passage, but I don't know if it's supposed to be read into that pass- passage. So I was just a bit confused, but I suppose it's Bringar just going right. Well, you know, stuff him, stuff them. I'm here. Yep. by myself and at the very last i can depend on myself right and I, I, but yeah but that last bit confused me yeah okay good so i wasn't the only one then all right well not good i wish someone could explain it but uh after that then we get to the whole part that i read in the beginning of the show uh, i think only ben counter can explain it 
Okay. And he doesn't seem like he's going to be talking about this book anytime soon. So. No. Um, so basically, then you get to that last part. That was the beginning. That Motep is awake and knows exactly what's happening. And that's when he explains to him uh, and touches his forehead. And basically, what is he, he just basically psychically transmits everything he learned from Ultis to Cestus. Yeah, um, that's very well for a non-psychic, trained psychic. Right. There you go. So, um, and that's, that's, we wrap up 14 when he says, let me show you and puts his hand on his head. Yeah. So and, uh, go back to scroll who's found himself back in the temple. Yep. The, so before we jump into 15, do you want to really quick, uh, you know what? Let's finish 15 and then we'll take a quick break. Okay. No okay. So chapter 15, the desecration communion visions of death. Yes, he's back in the. But we've got the uh, the desecrated body of Antigues. Antigues, yes, that's the body um, lying there now. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe he is being a bit more cunning if he's gone round in a circle, maybe trying to confuse people. Maybe he's just lost. It's a big ship. He's just, he's really cool. I I mean I've I've I, I've really come to like his character more and more on the second reading. In fact, that's my first note here. Scrawl is uber cool. Like when I first saw him, like okay, we got someone who's there who's just going to be a, 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 a you know the Tasmanian devil from the cartoons, just you know spinning and destroying everything in his path. It's like no, this guy's really kind of cool. I like it. Yeah, as, I mean, as I said on the first one, I think I remember people saying. I didn't like the book, but I liked Emotep, Skrull, and Rinka. And well, those, uh, yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of good characters that don't get, they don't get the story they deserve. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I love how he looks at the mutilation of Antiques. Is like, this is like a religious sort. Like this is one of these ritual mutilations. <laughs> he's like, he's like, we're violent and we're bloody. But we don't do this. Yeah. Like, we'll we'll cut you into a thousand pieces if that's what we got to do to win a fight. But afterwards, we don't sit here and just desecrate the bodies. Like even he's disgusted by this. Yes, I yeah, mean not not you know not repulsed or, or going to be sick by it because he can. It's not like he can't handle the blood. It's just the, the, there's no reason. Yeah, for the reason the, the the religiosity that the the. Um, yeah, the arcane kind of nature of it, um, but yeah, they come to pick up the body, which I don't. It's again, it's it's like it's handy that these groups, um, uh, Rescuel or whatever his name is, comes to pick up the body and take it away so that Scroll can follow them. But it all seems to be a little bit kind of oh, well, I need him to get him here again. Well, yeah, oh, uh, and cause here's the thing: it, he's been there for weeks. Yeah, they left the body there for weeks. And just when he gets back to that point, going in circles, avoiding everybody, they happen to come pick up the body. I mean, once again, I realize, you, like you said, you've got to get him from point A to point B. But first of all, they left the body for weeks. And they yeah. just happen to go get it right at the time he comes back. I get yeah. that we've, we've got to get our plot points, but there's, it's, that's, that's stretching that, you know, the, the credibility of this. There are other ways to do it. Right. I mean, and it's he, an easy way, and it works. There are others, but unfortunately, he's chosen the one that's really coincidental again. It's a lot of coincidences. For a person who doesn't believe in coincidence, this, this, if, if, you, if you're not a person who believes if, in coincidence, then most of this book gets pretty unbelievable at a, at a lot of points. 
Yeah. So they, yeah, they take the body of, of entities. We we see that the head's probably been taken to appease or summon with Soran, and then the innards are used for scrying. So we get more of that arcane feel about it. Um, and then all of a sudden, they realise that they're He's not there. Yeah. It's, We're not alone. Of course not. In the anatomy, the-, the anatomy theater. Is that what that's is that that's one of those uh is that like one of those surgical rooms that has like the the seats up all around it for students who are gonna learn about you know why we why you would need one of those, but yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean that's just when you say anatomy theater, I think that's what an anatomy theater is, at least as far as my knowledge of it goes, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. But yeah, the the only interesting bit about that is um Skrull, is a, was it? He wanted to feel rage and be comforted by it, but he couldn't reach it. He felt numb because he sees what they're, what they're doing is so alien to the imperial truth that they've all followed. Again, this is you know he's really becoming to understand what's going on with the word bearers. Yeah, this isn't. This is no longer something I'm just getting pissed about. This is something that has shocked him to his actual core. Yes, and it's a clever yeah. way to do it when a word bearer can't feel rage. Yeah, world eater. Yeah, you know, it's that world eater can't feel rage. Something has gone well beyond the limits when it's pushed him beyond the ability to feel that. So that was kind of a, a clever bit there. Yes, but we go back to um, Cestus, <laughs> Cestus receiving the the images from Motep of uh, Formasca, and and it's another like four pages to get the whole explanation. It's, you know, essentially a fleet with the whole point being is to blow up the moon, um, send it flying into uh, a McCrag and, yeah. This is a hella clever plan, though. Like, when I read this, I was like, okay, that's clever because you blow up one of the moons, you're going to mess up the whole gravitational and tidal whatever, so you're already going to cause problems on the planet by blowing up one of its moons. And then by blowing it up into little pieces, you're basically... Sending an entire moon, an entire you know, an entire satellite's worth of shrapnel down on the planet. I'm like, that's that's a good plan. That's it's an interesting one, certainly. You you wonder if they could have just gone and done it straight to McCrag. And I know it is defended, but it's, it talks about it's the only ship that can be in position to do it. But that's, I but, think yeah. that's the point: is that. It is really well defended. Why take all those losses and risk all that when I can take out a good half the fleet that's defending it, that's right in my way, by just basically smashing up this thing and throwing that at them, you know? I don't have to punch you in the face if I can throw, you know, a a, a ton of rocks at you and, and, and stun you, and then you don't have any good defense. I mean, I just thought it was clever. I'm giving him this one. Point for point for Ben. It's uh, definitely different. I'm just. Um, I wasn't expecting it, and in a book full of convenience and coincidence, and and you know telegraphing what's going to happen a mile away. Right. Yeah. This I did. This I was not ready for. I was like, "Wait, you're going to do what?" The problem I have with it is it's all torpedoes that do the damage, uh, which. You know, maybe uh, maybe is necessary for what goes on later in the book, but it makes you wonder why they built a massive great book with a big laser cannon behind it, plasma thingy. 
Cause that's thought- true because they're using those cyclo- now those cyclonic torpedoes. Those are the kind like that he like they shot in a Motep ship, right? So it's going to bear burrow into the core and then blow up there the secondary explosions to blow the planet apart. Kind of like Armageddon again. We hey two two episodes in a row we get Armageddon reference. Yeah, it's a slow shock wave uh, that he sees. But it's either way. If you're building the biggest ship in the world and you're writing a book about the biggest ship that's ever been built and it's got this massive hidden gun on the front behind a book, <laughs> why don't you make that weapon the weapon that can destroy a moon? Yeah, like the big laser on the Death Star. I mean, you got the big laser. Maybe that's why he didn't. But otherwise, what is the point of having that brand new big weapon on the front of the thing behind the book? Maybe that was... For it's later, okay. Well, or po- it's po- is it possible that giant weapon? I mean, how many of those torpedoes are they shooting at the moon to do this job? Maybe that laser weapon can take out a whole nother ship in a shot. Can take out a whole nother this, that, the other, but maybe not a moon. Uh, it's it, it. It just doesn't like you've you've gone to the effort of writing this specific weapon in. You know, it would have been surely it would have been just easier to have that weapon as being the main. Because so much is made of that book opening in this book. <laughs> you know, but okay, let's, not- let's be honest. That was just, he really wanted, her, I got this idea. The front's a book, because get it, they're the word bears. And then the book opens, and it's a cool gun. It might be, yeah. But if you're going to write that, then make that gun the main weapon. Yeah. Rather than just firing normal torpedoes. Because these, well, not, not, these seismic torpedoes could be on any ship. That's true. So it just it just seems like it undermines the whole point of having to send the biggest ship when you can send just a crap ton of little ships with these cyclonic torpedoes. Biggest ship. If you've written a really big weapon, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then make use of it. Even though I don't like it, at least make it worthwhile. Otherwise, what's the freaking point in having it in the first place? I got you. It's just pointless. It's yeah, that, and those little things little really bug me. But hey ho. Um, yeah, and then Cestus has to try and work out whether what he's seen is real because he can't trust the vision. He can trust his own vision that he got uh, randomly, uh, which has no explanation at all, but he can't trust the vision from Motep. Yeah, and then he asks him why he's there, and then Motep gives the whole, you know what, seriously, the Council of Nikea was hardly a council. It was a witch hunt. It was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a witch trial, and I basically we went there. Everybody was waiting for us. It was like an intervention, kind of. Like, if you want to think of it that way. We showed up, everybody said, bad, bad boys. Now, no more of this. And everybody else wanted us punished worse, except the emperor said no. And I get that. I mean, dude, that's one of the, of, of all the, of all the legions who went traitor, the Thousand Sons are the ones I feel probably the worst for. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, having read later on, I think it's the Iron Warriors for me. But... That is a different issue, and depends on what books you've read. And well, thus far, yes, I'm only I, yeah, yeah. I've only got about seventeen books under my belt, so I've only got about half the series down. So, but so, uh, just so I'm not giving anything away in that respect. And no. the Council of Nikea, as we, what we know of it at the moment is everyone was told stop using psychic powers. The librarian program was stopped. Um, if you are reading other books, there are a number of occasions with talking about Thousand Sons, Prospero Burns as being two primary ones, but there are also a number of short stories that deal w- with and around the issues of Nikea and 
why decisions were made and why people were on one side and why people were on the other side and they will change people's views yeah all stories together so and we'll leave a lot of people undecided as to whether the thousand sons were um you know whether they should have any pity or not um but that's another issue down the line and we won't get too much into that because people might not even know right. why they pity and then so- and then Cestus basically, you know, it's so funny because, you know, they, they've got Motep is sort of like, a, 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 to, to pull another reference, he's sort of like uh, the Boromir. It's a weapon to use against the enemy. You don't get it, you know, like, we should use the ring. He's like, we should, and he looks at him, listen, you saved us twice and I owe you, which is why you're not dead right now because I stopped Bringar from killing you. He goes, so, but you're going to stay here, and when we get to wherever we're going, there will be a trial, and you will go on trial. And he tells me he's going to go on trial, and then he stops before he leaves. He goes, you ever go in my mind like that again, I'll execute you myself. And then, he, and then he leaves. And, of course, once the door's closed, how narrow your mind is, Motep hissed, focusing at once on the reflective sheen of the cell wall. How ignorant you are of what's to come. Ooh. Mm. Of course, he doesn't say that to his face because, well, let's face it, everybody's ready to kill him. So he holds his tongue, he goes, and that's the end of chapter 15. That is indeed. Let's take a quick break, come back, chapters, uh, chapter 16. Cool. Corferon, a storm breaks. So they're they're with or- Orcadus, the navigator. Yep. And he's kind of showing them what's there. There's McCrag, and here's this other stuff. And uh, he basically there's there's ships coming. There's McCrag. Here's us. There's the ship we're following. There's more ships coming, and we don't. They're, it's very possible they're word bearers. He doesn't know for certain, but based on everything that's been happening, a, a whole massive amount of ships showing up. That's very possibly the word bearers. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent. Like the navigator's looking through this heavily filtered screen of the warp, and Kaminska's looking in a mirror. And looking back at it, I mean, yeah, I don't think, I don't particularly like the way that's written. I don't think that fits in with how it should work. It's, um, well, he says, if you could see it like I see it, you know, once again, he sees it, you know, even though it's shielded. All she's looking through is through a mirror into a shielded version of it. It's like, I don't think you'd even consider risking it. It's not, it just doesn't fit right. Mm, Yeah. To look upon the warp is madness. Yes, well, that's why they're looking at a shielded version. But yeah, why would you risk if you haven't had to? 
But even then, he doesn't know. It, it, it's like this thing that's coming is like the size of another planet almost, he says. And I like, well, what is it? It's not another ship. No, it's a whole fleet. Okay. Yeah. So that happens, blah, blah, blah. We get to Corferon. It's a very forced scene, that one. Yeah. It just it, Basically, that whole scene is to let them know, okay, the situation just got worse, and then we jump to the worse. And yeah. Corferon is sitting. He's got a throne, much like Zed Keels, because all the word bearers are tools. Uh, yeah, but this is like Lord Lord Tool. Yes. So, you know, you know I want to like the word. I, like, I want to like all of these legions because they all got something very cool about them. But just the way these guys are written, even from that first trilogy when Erebus shows up, it's like, wow, you're just slimy and lame. And the fact that people don't just beat the crap out of you just like within the first five minutes of meeting you amazes me. Yeah, Corfarian's had issues right from the start because Corfarian was too old to become a proper space marine. So uh, his armor's got little stilts in it and stuff. So oh, he's he, not a space marine? Not a full space marine, no. He was oh. too old. He was too old when they came to the planet. So if you look at the model on the Facebook, on the Forge World site, you will see around the back, he's like, he's just an enhanced, um, you know, super enhanced human, but oh. he's not full space room. Yeah. So he's pissed because the abyss is behind schedule. He's sure. cracking his knuckles, orders a storm. Uh, the supplicants look like they're sleeping. Uh, he gives the command to marshal the storm and they start twitching the, yeah before, before we get into all that uh, it's like the, the, the show of him he's on the uh, Infidious Imperator and uh, Fast Grail, Master of the Chapter the Opening Eye says um, you know they indicate Zagiel's being followed it's possible he's just showing caution that's why he's not here and Corfarian's replies to Roar he has the furious abyss he should have been able to see off anything that stood in his way. Sankyar better know the consequences for us all if we all fail. I'm like, yes, stand up, golf clap, at last. Someone's saying it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I've been thinking through all 300 pages of whatever, <laughs> whatever we've been reading. It's like, yes, he's got the furious abyss. He should be able to just do it. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean that—that that that's a good point, and it is funny because I remember even laughing when he just stands up and he's got the biggest ship ever. What do you mean he's being cautious? Yes. Oh, good point, boss. You know, like. Yeah. So yeah, you're right on that one. Um. So, you know, they go through that, and now. Uh, I'm sorry, that's when they start having the nightmares. So Zedkiel thinks the warp uh, is rising against him, and he's like, no, 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 this is... Ichthalon recognizes it, the work, and and it, this is just a warning. And he's like, so uh, Zedkiel accepts Corferon's help and leaves the wrathful to the warp and presses on. So basically all this warp stuff starts happening and Zed basically Zed kills like, holy crap, the warp's turning on us and Ichthalon's like, No, I think Corferon is stepping in and helping us out. Which is kind of a bad thing. Like this is where uh oh something don't, no, I think the boss you know, somebody did somebody cleaned up in here. You know, 
Somebody cleaned up. Uh, I think it might have been the boss. I think he's just pissed that we've left it so messy so long. It's like, well, I appreciate the help, but that's never good when the boss has to come in and help you. No, especially one like that. Exactly. So the Wrathful's getting tossed all over. Cestus and Kaminska decide they got to listen. We got no choice. There's we're in the warp. What are we going to do? Put you know, you know, crap your pants and dive in the pool. Just push the put you know, full speed ahead. That's the only chance we got. Oh yeah. Um, and then you go back to Motap, who sees his death coming on the ship, and he starts probing the warp and the abyss, and he starts seeing visions of. Prospero burning. Um, and then there's this whole temptation thing. Did this make sense to you? Which bit? The, uh... where it's the part with Motep where... Um, hold on, let me find the part that the warp's coming after us. He starts seeing visions, and he sees this happening. He starts seeing the... Uh... Spies of Prospero and all that. The yeah. Flight. He sees yeah. all that burning, and, okay, so he sees that. Let's see. It, here, page 317. I'll read it. Motep clawed back some semblance of control. He fashioned the image of his cyclopean eye in his mind. It glowed with scarlet radiance, and as if following a beacon of safe harbor, Motep used it to guide himself away from the clutches of the Empyrean. He emerged at last, drained of all will, of all strength, and collapsed to the floor of his cell. The metal was cool against his cheek. Though hard and unyielding, it was the most invigorating salve he had ever felt. He had resisted. Though the lines of fate had been laid open to him, Motep knew, as he slipped into unconsciousness, what the visions had been about. It was not a lure into madness. It was something far more sinister and invasive. It was temptation. What, what was the, like, where was the temptation here? What was he being offered by watching Prospero burn? Like, um, power, knowledge, maybe the chance to dive into that power and do something about it, to send warnings to his father. Um, yeah, I any, just, I, I didn't, I didn't. It, it's, it's, again, it's not particularly done well, but that's more from reading other books and the way particularly the Thousand Sons approach the warp. And um, yeah, we, we see, we see in, in Thousand Sons, one of the things we see in the Thousand Sons is the way they keep their mind kind of cleansed as they're using their powers and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and that's something, because there's always that, tempt- you have to be clear of mind and not get dragged in, and and, and it's just something that comes up. But it, again, it's not very well explained here. I so, think it's, maybe it's assumed. You okay, know. right. But so then, here's the other part then. Uh, I love this. This is, this okay. This is, once again, this is everything that's wrong with the book. All of that stuff's going on behind them, right? The warp's going crazy. The ship's getting tossed. And, and Zed Keel's like, they're done. They're, hey, do we got the readings? Are they, are they done? They got to be done, right? The warp's too crowded. Clouded. We, when it's that crazy, we can't see through it. Do we want to make sure they're done? No, no, I'm certain they're done. Let's just go on. I'm certain they're done, right? They're done. They got to be done. Let's go. This is a, this is another Doctor Evil moment. Don't you want to watch and make? No, no, no. I'm certain. I'm certain they're done. Let's just move along. This is such a Bond villain moment. It was so. What's the worst that can happen? Exactly. It's just like, oh, what are you worried about? Seriously, what are you worried about? Yeah, <laughs> I 
I've written quite a lot on this chapter, and most of it seems to be, um, yeah, those little things. The, the, the supplicants was quite cool, but not particularly, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Emotep's vision is just, I put question marks because of the nature of it just appearing. And, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... All the same, unfortunately. Yeah. And, uh... And basically, that's that's it. He's he presses on to meet his destiny, and that's the end of chapter sixteen. We roll into seventeen. Strategy out of the warp for Mosca in sight. Yes, with um, Cestus trying to sort his crews out. Um, <laughs> Do not give in to madness! He cried aloud to all he could listen. Hold on and heed the imperial truth. He's, he uh, sets his little teams out to. <laughs> to patrol corridors because he knows what's coming. Um, and as we see, he has no idea what's coming at all. Bless him. Right. Uh, that's, uh, he is, he, that is the nature of him <laughs> in, in that thing. Yeah. But, it's, you want, yeah. We're just at that point. It, that's pretty much the nature of it. Yeah. They're ready to light this Formasca up. The Wrathfuls, the Wrathfuls back. Oh, no, aren't they dead yet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a bit crazy. Hold on, I've, I've got lost here on my notes again. This is really good. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a low pan moment. No pathetic excuses. Would someone please kill him for me already? Yeah, I mean... That, that that is part of the problem. There's a lot of pages between kind of the start of what's going on and the raffle reappearing, and I'm trying to kind of read, trying to remember exactly kind of what happens in those. Um, not a lot. No. There's <laughs> there's a, a lot of writing about. I mean, yeah, sharing with Bringar what's going on. I mean, Bringar's not going to really, you know. Yeah. You're, you're talking to Bringar about psychic powers that have been used upon you against your will. You know, it's what what is that? Zagkiel's just being Zagkiel. Right. I mean, what more do you need to say about him? He's uh he's just talking about getting ready to come into Formasca and and we're getting to that moment of we're getting to that critical moment where the final the final scenes take place at the end of the day. Um and yeah, and and the raffle appears. That that can't be bad, can it? <laughs> and then you've got, like I said, Cestus and, Bring- and Bringar, the whole idea. And of course, Bringar's seen it before. An asteroid passed too close to a planet and started messing it all up. And then the Furious Abyss will use that debris as a shield, getting them past the sea because they'll be cloaked. The biggest ship in the galaxy will be cloaked by the debris, and they yep. won't be able to target it. Definitely not. So they're going after it, and... Uh, yeah, I love. I love when it shows up, and then like every station, every warning station around McCrag instantly recognized the scale of the ship and demanded its identity. No reply was forthcoming. I did. I did like the uh, the way the raffle attacked. It's um, it is it's a ballsy move. Yeah, and and Zagkio is like oh, idiots. What are they doing? Oh, typical, you know, just blind in his faith of. You can't be hurt aboard this thing. Um, right. 
But they finally realise right at that end there that they're seeking to gain entry through the torpedo apertures um, because obviously they've sh- snuck out in their shuttle- shuttles. Yeah, the shuttles are flying towards it and it's just like... At least they're going in the front this time. So they are going to be nearer <laughs> the ships, I suppose. It's a, it was a clever plan. You know, he's like, what are, those, what are they going to be able to do? Oh, that, they're not even flying towards a part of the ship that's, that's worth anything. Yeah, but it's open. Oh crap! Close the door! Close the door! Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a typical last ditch good guys plan. It's like, yeah, you're going to lose the wrathful here. It's going to be pretty much destroyed, and and probably should have been destroyed way quicker than that. But um, did we hit the part where they were going to be decommissioned anyway, or does that? No, that was the whole of the the thingy fleet, the Saturnine fleet, wasn't right. it? Yeah, we've we've had there. It's their um, oh, two right. by hand in their badge. Yeah, so. It's their last job. But, again, there was, there was a whole chapter there that doesn't need a huge amount. No, 26 pages of... And down here, what have we got? We've got the warp being discussed in an unreliable way by the author. It's like sometimes they know so much, sometimes they don't. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it was only 11. It was 11 pages, so it wasn't as long. It was only about 2.5% of the book that was just, there was we nothing did. to say. No, we didn't talk about the planning meeting, but it's everything you expect. Well, it's the planning meeting. I mean, literally, it just went over everything we already knew. Yeah, you know. Explaining um, it to Bringar. And Bringar, of course, anytime you mention the magic, he goes, blah, 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 blah and said, listen, we got to do the plan. It's about time we attack him, lad. You know, it's that. <laughs> Isn't it handy they had a problem with their torpedo tubes as they came out of space, ready to... When all they've been worried about is time um, and getting there on time, being able to that thing, the torpedo tubes weren't ready. Well, and that's the thing. They, I mean, okay, they were chasing the Wrathful for weeks, right? Like, <laughs> how long did it take to get these tubes ready, and why weren't they on it? I mean, they're late, right? I mean, yes. the tubes should have been ready when they arrived, and yeah. they should – I mean, I'm certain part of the plan included – Making, I mean, this should have all been ready. It's not like they had to work real hard to make sure everything was ready when they got there. And they're late. Yeah, and those those um, those torpedo tubes. I mean, it takes you know hundreds of people, whatever thousands of people, to load those torpedoes because they're massive. I mean, is it is it possible damage from the first fight when they were shooting it all up? No, they, they did. <laughs> yeah, maybe and maybe that's why they're because they didn't have enough time to to fix it. Like. But- but those those gun ratings don't have anything else to do, pretty much. Exactly. That's, I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm coming up with the possible reason why, and it's still not a good reason. Hello. It can't. It can't have hit every single torpedo tube. When you come out of the warp, it should have been like, okay, we're clear of the warp. Okay, good. Fire. Like that's it. Like to blow the damn thing up. The only reason that that isn't the case is because otherwise they would have fired the torpedo tubes with Thunderhawks in the tubes and they would have died. It's poor writing. It's poor. Yeah. So we jump over to Chapter 18 then. Uh, Gauntlet, Infiltration, Dark Dreams. So, okay, shuttles are on their way in. Three of them get blown up on the way. And there's Cestus. There's Cestus watching the shuttles. He's like, come on, come on. You got to get the come on. The best one is... Uh, a, sh- a shuttle shuttle's moving at top speed is a few feet from its target it's then hit by a gun from a turret so that turret's got to be quite close to that and is blown so far off course that it can't get anywhere near a torpedo tube 
Well, yeah. you know, once again, it, maybe it looked close, but in space, remember? Because the space battles, they said that in the beginning. It looks close, but it's slow. No. And, um, and, and then once they do get in... Um, but then Bringar's ship gets shot down. The Call of War, boys, mother's love. The Call of War is their mother's love. I, I kind of like that. But then their ship is shot down. Oh, no. Is this the end? of? The, we just watched Bringar's ship get shot down, right? So he's dead, right? They're gone. Yeah, Poor guys, look at that. They didn't even have a chance. Bless them. Oh, boy, because they're gone. They must They must be dead, right? They were shot down. Yeah. So Cestus makes it in. They go through the torpedo hatch. They're on the ordnance deck. They're destroying stuff. These torpedo tubes seem small as well. Yeah, and he's got to destroy these cyclonics, but they're not near the cyclonics. So they got to... They they're, they're not even ready to be put in position. They're on the deck. They're like not. They're like still in the crates. Like really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're literally still in the crates, but they're still in the crates. Like, where are they? They're all over the gun decks. So then, the, oh, Zed Keel's like, okay, well, stop hunting that world eater, and get those space marines. Yeah, because because um, the ship this size only has enough. Uh, crew to be uh, only spain has enough space means to do one or the other well but here but no but that's a, that's a serious threat now so everybody's going to that even it's, those guys hold on it, you're right it's a serious threat there are a handful of space marines in the torpedo area you still do not need every space marine that should be on that ship doing it all right <laughs> okay yeah true true maybe thousands on that ship and i like how he's going to awaken the supplicants because their their whole purpose of having that many supplicants there is to cloak the ship but the ship's not cloaked anymore so they're awakened all their narcotics and brain suppress suppressants are stopped so everything that's keeping them calm and collected and 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 filtered so they don't go stark raving bonkers they stopped it and then he gives them orders um, but basically, they're going to cause as much damage before we die. Uh, what do you mean before we die? Because they're not, you know, I, I like how the Space Marines at this point are like, you know, we're not going home. This is a suicide run at this point. Like, we've chased them down this far. It's a suicide run. And, you know, you got to have that scene where somebody, we're, what? How are we going to get home? Dude, really? And then they say, oh, no, okay, time to die. Um. Yeah, and Cestus is still being that awesome battle captain, calling out battle formations in the middle of the fight. And, and he's, he's sharp, sharp. He is. They're about to get to the cyclonic. They're going to detonate. They're under heavy fire. Some of the good guys are dying. They can't reach Bringnar. Don't know what happened to him. And all of a sudden, it gets really cold. I love. I like. They did like that part. The supplicants get there, and it's all cold. Um, and all of a sudden, they like. I mean. It's just total full-on psych air attack. I mean, oh, excuse me. Oh. One of the space marines like puts his gun to his head. He's like going to shoot himself. He puts his bolter to his to his temple, and Cestus stops him. Hey, what are you doing? Oh wait, what? Oh, and then he goes crazy, but he still hits the button as he's fall before he falls down. Get that job done. Hits the button, and then he falls down under the weight of a psychic attack and passes out. Yeah, I thought they were, they were cool. Yeah. Um, and then Zedkiel wants them caught and found. He wants the Cyclonics salvaged. Um, I like how they describe how the, the 
the the supplicants they feel like they're one with the ship. Did you yeah. read this part that they're they're almost like they're not quite a parasite or they're like somewhere between a parasite and a symbiote? Like they think of the ship as an extension of themselves because they've been they've been so much a part of it, taking it through the warp and cloaking it that yeah. they're like their brains are one with the ship. So they're it's just part, yeah. It's part of forty k thirty k law that ships do have their own individualities in that respect um, to the point of when you're playing the role playing game of Rogue Trader, you actually when you're building your ship you're on you roll for its weird idiosyncrasies. So oh, cool. they may have difficulty targeting on their right hand side or they may find it easier to perform certain maneuvers and things like and there's no explanation for it it's just the fact that this ship's been in a battle like and it's done this thing so many times or something like that but that's been that is part of 40k law quite often as well it's like oh this ship every time we try and do this you know the shields always struggle a little bit over on our port left hand side um and and there's nothing wrong with it Everything in there works perfectly fine. It's just the ship somehow. It's just one of those old things. It's yeah. Oh, that's so, kind. Of, that's kind of cool. That is yeah, actually kind of cool. Have their own spirits almost, and that the that power of the machine spirit is that what we're talking about? Fits into the mechanicum and the way they deal with the way they use incense to fire up machines, and you've got to appease the machine spirit. So it all fits in with that. Yep. So let's. Uh, Okay, now this is where it gets interesting. Zedkiel falls down, or Sestus falls down. He wakes up in his own personal hell, like literally. Yes. It, and, it's, and it's like Dante's Inferno because there's levels of hell. Um, he's running across sword blades. So he's, he's running and he keeps falling. And, of course, the sword blades are cutting his feet and cutting his arms. And there's this huge sun this big like ball of energy about to dis- dissolve and and absorb and destroy him coming behind him and he has to keep running this is the hell of cowards yes. and uh he won't you know he 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 doesn't he's like no that's it i'm going to you know, this was actually, I thought this was kind of cool where he realizes well wait a minute if i keep trying to run from this thing this is the hell of cowards i'm being cut up and wounded and hurt and just torn to pieces the more I try to run from this thing. So he stops and says, turn on says, screw it, I'm not running. Yeah. And walks right into it. I was like, oh! I deny you, I deny you. I, the, yeah, I defy you or, yeah. The imperial truth has no room for hells. The only hells are those we make for ourselves. Yeah. And another lifetime, this, uh, this Machius Cestus and you will break. Yeah. I like the whole, um, like the, the, the Greek style, as you say, the Dante style hell that, uh, that it, it was talked about as being an old, um, McCrag custom, wasn't it? Right. Uh, McCrag belief system. I am That's, not a coward. I know no fear. Yeah. I, I, Say what you want. I just I like the Ultramarines. I love the whole "We shall know no fear." I know it's overdone. I know they're the poster boys. I know everybody rolls their eyes. It, we will the, no fear. Uh, no, no fear is a Space Marine thing in general. Right, but Ultramarines are cool. Yeah, are. that is that's true. That is a Space Marine thing. I just I keep thinking of that that, that really sort of not too good Ultramarines movie where you know we are from a crack and we will know no fear. You know, I was like, okay. Uh, so then Kaminska's sitting there, and I kind of like this part. She gets her scene, finally. Yes. She's got her orders. She's in full regalia. 
The wrathful's going down. She's in full clothing. The you know the high collar, the monocle. The, I mean, she's dressed up in her full on, you know, things. And she orders the ship, the to people evac- to evacuate, yeah. and they basically say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the ca- and she turns around. I'm the captain. I request to remain on board and go down with the ship. They all basically and that this is that scene. This is yeah. that scene in it where the captain says, "Abandon ship, guys, save yourselves." And they're all like, "From what? No, we're this is our ship too, captain. We go with the captain. We follow you. If you're gonna die, we're with you." And then, of course, she, you know, it's been an honor to serve with you, man. And she salutes them back. You know, the whole scene. I've been flying a crop duster. Yeah. <laughs> Is, yeah, it, it, that, but that's what I think of because I think it's so cheesy. But yeah, it's yeah, cheesy. Is that, that's, that's from the from what Independence Day. Yeah, I yeah. love like, the speech in Independence Day. Right, it is like the whole film's cheesy. That speech is totally cheesy. This I, is our Independence Day. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and this is this is when the book hits the note of those kind of f- films. Yep, you could just this, hear the the Top Gun music swelling behind. Absolutely, and and actually, yeah, the, my, and this is what I mean when I say it's an '80s action film full of cheesy moments. This is when it does it well, but unfortunately, those passages are few and far between. So, Kaminska finishes. Motep is meditating, and now this is this is what he's been waiting for. This is what he's been here for. This is everything that's supposed to be happening. Uh, he's basically there. He's got to fight that thing, whatever the hell its name was. Cast has to have his moment to show that he was part of the crew doing his duty. Yes. So, um, and I love, oh, that's right. He goes there and he goes to the crew and Kaminska's being sort of tortured. It comes out of the, it, the, the, the demon tears itself out of one of the crew members, you know, comes out of the body, like the thing. And just, he goes in and it's a charnel house in the, in the, in the main room. Everybody's been just gutted and put up and, you know, there's body parts pinned up to the walls. You know, typical chaos stuff. And, of course, he comes out. I am the servant of the... I come out of there. The servant <laughs> of the Crimson Eye. That's right. And so he fights, and then the thing comes out. With Sorek, uh Demon made flesh. And he comes out. I am, you know... He's, I love what Sorek listeners. I am, I am gorged, but there's always room for one more. So the, here's where you get the Arnold Schwarzenegger clever line against the clever bad guy line. I've, I've eaten all these souls, but there's room for one more. And he looks at him and he goes, feed. And I just picture him with Schwarzenegger's feeding time's over. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what I mean. But it was really, um, it was a really cool scene. Right, up until that oh, it was well described. I mean, the, the the cheesy lines notwithstanding, the descriptions were great. I mean, you walked in, you're like, oh, that's a really horrible way for Kaminska and all of them to go. Yeah, it's about the loyal and everything else. And and now you've got the two badasses facing off against each other. Right. Um, Except, no, because now we got to go back to the next circle of hell. Yeah, I mean, even before that, I, I like this is a very different... Um, we've seen... We've seen Jubal um, become Samus, right? In first book, and this is so different from that as well. Oh yeah, which, which is really cool. We got to see what was going on, and Motep's not surprised by it. Nope. So you're getting a very different a- a- approach to what's going on, which is cool. And then we're back in hell. 
Right. And now he's in the hell for people who are uh, people. Um, these, what is this? The, the people who fight the natural order. They, they disobeyed their parents, deviants, agitators, people who did not accept their proper role in society and went off and did things wrong. And this is a literal machine where you are a piece of the machine and your body is being broken and reshaped into a cog. Yeah. Literally, you're physically being crushed into the shape of a proper cog for this machine. So you're being mashed and tortured and bent and twisted and shaped, forced to fit a role that you never accepted before. And, uh, oops, almost dropped my book. Um, oh, and then he sees, of course, who's in there with him? Antigues. Of course. And, of course, Antigues, it's your fault that I'm here. And all this, and he just keeps fighting it, even though, and I, I love at the end, it kind of gets gross. His chest splits open, he screamed, hot air shrieked through his organs, his legs kicked frantically, and both arms snapped. His neck broke, but the pain did not die, and his body is forced to accept the form of the machine. I defy you! He's still, I defy you! And uh, that's, that's how that chapter ends, with him getting broken to fit the machine. Pretty grim. Yep. And then we're into chapter 19. Pack mentality, Wasoric, and Reunion. Yes, yeah, so Bringar's back in this, uh, or in some kind of feral dream. Oh, he didn't die? They got, uh, I thought they was, didn't the ship get shot? Didn't we see that? I didn't, I was, oh, you tricked me. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, um, yeah, he's in this feral dream with this red wolf. Yes. Yeah. I mean, which is obviously how this form of attack's taken. And my iPad's playing up again. Oh, poxy thing. This hasn't helped. Um, <laughs> it really hasn't helped me enjoy the book either. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and at the end of it, this black wolf's come to help him again. So whatever this black wolf is, it's there as a, yeah, as a help. I, yep. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not down with it. But, but he's there. Look around you. Back, yeah. Bring, come back. Come this back. This is not Fenris. And then we, we wake up and... Um, he killed, well, Rusveld. So this this psychic dreams turn them both into their kind of animalistic state. So now, for a guy who doesn't like psychers, the psychers overwhelm him, make him think he's in the middle of a pack of monsters on Fenris, and he kills his entire group. He kills all the other space wolves that were with him. And they were probably thinking the same thing, yeah. But that's that's going to piss you off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, they were they were yeah they were probably involved in the exact. None of them were sitting there going, "Hey, what's wrong with Bringar?" I mean, you know, the psychers did this to every last one of them. But he's the last man standing, and he wakes up from it because it's cool. Space wolves confuse me, and we could talk about this maybe on the follow up episode because I want to get through this, you know, and get get done with this book today. But because um, they have psychers. But they don't have psychers. Like, they don't like it, but they use stuff. It's uh, it's a bit of a weird sort of situation that kind of confuses me with them. Um, sure. And even that wolf guide, like, wakes him up. But, I mean, so he wakes up from this. And a guy who hates psychers just realized that psychers had twisted his mind and made him kill all of his, you know, his, his uh, you know, his, his mates, his buddies, his... The guys in his uh, legion, and then and then, um, then the mechanicum who come out the the adepts who come out feel the uh, feel the the rage of that as he tears them apart. Yes, 
and and as he does so, we get this voice, I serve the Legion eternally. We have a, a dreadnought that's not fully interred. So he's <laughs> it's still half hanging out. Right. And it's uh, Balinus. Which yeah. which is, is kind of cool, kind of cheesy. Um, <laughs> well, it was not- someone we saw earlier, so it gives him a good reason to fight him. It makes it not just, oh, look, here's a dreadnought. It- and Bryn recognizes him before his name like he killed him once already didn't I kill you once already growled the wolf <laughs> yeah round two um, and they can go with it again but yeah another cheesy line uh, and then Motep is fighting with Sorek yeah he's, he's being smashed up yeah yeah it's I mean the last scene was Motep being all badass in this in kind of coming up to the fight but he is he is struggling here yeah, and I mean he's getting his ass kicked. I mean, let's face it. But he's fi- he's he's given his he's trying to give as good as he's getting. Um, we 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 do get that classic. Whenever a psychic, they psychics always delve on their psychic reserves, whilst all other space marines have to delve on their normal reserves. It's always a bit. I did find that there was a lot of um, relying on those kind of little things in here. Yeah, they're both. I mean, they're they're. Absolutely, you know, hammering at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, this is some good. I'm an avenging angel of the emperor of mankind. Right. I am your doom, as I am yours. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it's bolt upon without bolters. <laughs> yeah, basically, your emperor can plot and cower all he likes. What has the warp to fear from him? Knowledge is power. And then he shoots lasers out of his eyes. Freaking lasers out of his eyes. That's awesome. Twin beams of light seared from his eyes, burning with Sorek's face and torso. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm picturing that in a way that's probably... Yeah. I think my mind's having to do a lot of work on that one. But yeah. It is quite cool. And so he puts up a, a mental shield to try to block with Sorek, and with Sorek's like, whatever, and goes at him and blocks through his psychic shield as if it were parchment. Indeed. But Cestus is, he's made it out of hell. No, in, he's in the last circle still. The in, so, yeah, he's made it out of one into the next one. Um, and we've got the well, blades, hundreds of long, thin blades penetrating a dark void, hanging down from above and spearing down forever. Right. And he's standing on that spur of rock. Right. <laughs> and he's sitting there and all of this stuff happens. I'm not dead and this is not hell. How can you be sure? Because I may be guilty of everything you said. I've led men to their deaths. I've killed and I've maimed, but I'm no traitor. Yeah, this this is this doesn't even even flinch. This doesn't even scratch the surface of his defenses here. Right. Then, I, I love how the worst thing in hell uh, for 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 ultramarines would be to be a traitor. That is the yeah. ultimate thing. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> It would be for a lot of space marines, to be fair, but definitely, yeah, for ultramarines, yeah. Yeah, but for yeah. this guy, he's just like, dude, really? He's, he's questioned a lot of the stuff he's done through this whole journey. He's like, I'm getting these visions, I'm getting this, and he's like, you're a traitor. And he's just like, no, no, I'm really not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, you chose words there, son. You just, you've got my back up now. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that was the wrong thing. Yeah, you, you're not, you ain't right. You're all done, washed up, so... So that's when Cestus is back. Yeah. 
in suffering, in pain. Right. And then, oh, what happens to the rest of this chapter? Um, well, we get them. We get them trying to f- find a place to go, but they end up in the the place of worship. This one temple, um, which is near the front torpedoes now. Um, don't know. Yeah, it's, hey, it, it's where it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we yeah with the usual chaos symbols everywhere and, and everything. Yeah, and then if you've got the guys in there, and Cestus is trying to fight. You know, um, you know, he throws his power sword and the, you know, thunk right into the guy's neck. Blah! You know, I just, you know, he actually says, "My brother, my enemy." Like, really? Yeah. And that's that's actually the little subtitle of the book, ladies. We have a subtitle. Indeed. Ben Counter, Battle for the Abyss. And it says right there, my brother, my enemy. And he actually says it in the book. Might as well. What the hell? Yeah, it's, I mean, overall, as far as lines go, it's by nowhere near the worst. It just seems like a weird... Like, I, but so then Bringar's, Bringar's going. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on here. I suppose it's part of... Um, it's It's part of the pity that he's feeling. Because, again, they don't have any reference for what's going on yeah they know is the word bearers are going to go and try and kill mccrag and they have no real reason to know why so it's like yeah yeah my brother my enemy is what's going on you know and then we come back to uh bringer who's, yeah. who's fighting yeah, the dreadnought a, ma- a massive fight with a dreadnought um it's it's more fighting at the end of the day. And the sarcophagus wasn't stowed properly, so he's able to puncture the... the Which is the only way he's ever going to kill a dreadnought. Right. So, so he's just, you know, basically going at it, this this part with the rune axe, you know, try and come back from that, you know, this, the boom and... Yeah, and he's, he's, he's getting ready to kill it, and all of a sudden this bolt gun goes off. Yeah, well, yeah, the, and the dreadnought's falling. He looks over, and who's there, Scrawl? He looks at him and goes, I thought you were dead, and then collapses. Yeah. Um, it's a snake fliskin. <laughs> you heard you were dead. I, I don't quite know why the dreadnought fell over from being shot by a bolt pistol either, but hey-ho. Um, well, I, well, funny uh, yeah. going on. Because um, they're quite stocky things. But yeah, and then we come back to um, Emotep still fighting. Still, <sighs> still fighting. This is a long-ass chapter, too. Yeah, it chapter is. 19 is really long, and it's a lot of fighting, and I get it, and you've yeah. got to describe it, but at some point, I mean, this is one of the longest, one of the longer chapters in the book. It's like 24, 25 pages, and it's but just all fighting. It, it's, these are the big fight scenes, though. There's three of them, effectively, aren't right. there? There are three big fight scenes going on. Maybe it could have been broken up, but hey, um, yeah. We've got uh, Motep being smashed through two floors. Um, <laughs> I like this little line. In truth, the fight was not going as he'd hoped. <laughs> I just read that in a proper kind of like a David Mitchell voice for anyone who's seen Peep Show. That kind of voice. It's not going well. Um, and Wasorik is doing the bad guy speech here. So you yeah. see how easy it was to turn Bringar against you? We're going to turn all the Space Marines against each other. The Emperor's fragile little house of cards is going to come tumbling down. Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and basically, what does it all come down to? He knew he couldn't kill him outright, but he knew if he 
cut him enough times, bled him enough times, did enough little bits of damage that it would add up to the point where he destabilizes him. Yeah, it's um, I did like the it gave him it gives uh, it gives Motep the chance to throw the spear. Um, yeah, all that it is cool. I mean, there were some cool bits in that. I mean, um, Masoric vomiting a hail of burning bone shards. Yeah. And, and things like that. It's a. It's completely random. <laughs> it is quite quite cool. But so, then we get yeah, we get buddies. We get Bringar and Skrull, You know, clasping hands and I'm the only survivor. Let's go. Let's go do some crazy stuff. As the 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 feral guy and the mat mental guy <laughs> are going to team up. You know, that's not going to end up good right. <laughs> but been yeah. hunting for a while, huh? Several weeks, I think. Yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. And so, um, how do you know we can reach the engines we're here? He knows because I told him. Said a familiar voice. And gets the the back of Bringar's neck rising. So, Cestus shows up. And Bringar's still pissed. Definitely. Too right. Yeah, we can't just destroy the Cyclonics. Destroy the whole ship. All three of them. Must destroy the ship. Chapter 20. Oh, Contention, dear. avenge me, and immolation. So, I love this. He says, uh, destroy the ship, and he's laughing at him. This is the single largest and most powerful vessel I've ever seen. A few incendiaries will not see to its ruin. Why do I make him a dwarf? I don't know. I just picture, I don't have a Viking accent, so I just make them dwarfs. They, you know, they got big beards. They drink a lot. They got honor. I play fantasy. I just always make him a dwarf in my head. Have you lost your mind as well as your honor, son of Gilliman? And he's like, no, we can destroy. I love this. It's this huge ship. They've been in it for weeks. Listen, all we got to do is get to the main reactor and drop a grenade. Yeah. And this is, there's, a th- there's a small thermal exhaust port right That's, below the main port. It's even better than that. It's um, the, the thermal grenade's like the size of your, your index finger and hollow in the middle and then imagine these guys with big furry feet and like half the height of a human just going to walk in drop a thermal grenade in sorted so exactly well then they got a bunch of them don't you have like a bandolier of them or a whole bag of them or something like this that would do it and i like this part he says you know you can we can just do this it'll do it'll do a chain reaction you knew this and you said nothing it was irrelevant before yeah, because we had to get to the one place where they have all their cyclonic torpedoes because they only store them all in one place. They yeah. don't have, like, two separate piles for each but, side of well, the ship. No, hey, redundancy is good yeah. when you're playing on the tabletop. <laughs> okay, but in real life, we don't need redundancy. We have the biggest ship in the galaxy. Don't yeah, tell me redundancy. tubes are going to be quite far apart from each other, but, yeah. you know, have one store is fine. So, and that's the whole thing. How come you didn't tell us we could destroy the ship this way? Well, because we couldn't get anywhere near it. We could only get in through the torpedo tube holes. Yep. So they're at the torpedo tube holes, right? And they have to get to the main reactor. Um, but it's all right. It'll only take minutes on the 20-kilometer-long ship where you probably can't go in a straight line and you've got to avoid people. But hey-ho. And I love it. He's like, I know exactly how to get where we're going. And Bringar looks at him. He's like, Bringar knows that something's not right. Like, how you, he shouldn't know all this information. 
So he looks at him and basically said, listen, I don't know what you and that other guy cooked up back on the other ship. And I'll do this with you. But as soon as we get this core done, our deal's over. I'm not working with you anymore. And I was like, well, dude, once you do that, you're all dead. So you're pretty much agreeing to go with him right up to the point of death. But once I'm dead, we're no longer friends. I'm not working with you anymore. That's basically what he's telling him. It's just kind of a lot of lip service at that point. Oh, and the Furious Abyss has been forced out of position with his battle with the Wrathful. Because, you know, they, they've shoved him. Yeah, and the, the McCrag Defense Force are just shuffling a bit because they don't know what's going on. Yeah, they're just looking at it. Um, what's this big ship doing here? With the little space marine, with the little raffle ship, the other side of it, having a firefight. Yeah, there's. Yeah, they obviously can see. I mean, they've got sensors. The psychics yeah. aren't protecting them. They can see there's a fight going on, and they're just up there going, "That's." Oof. Hmm. Yeah, they're in defensive posture, yeah. but you, yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're all sitting there going, "Okay, well, what, what now?" I'm, you know, just looking and watching and figuring out. Um, Zedkiel felt his glory slipping through his grasp, even as he listened to the toiling of the ratings on the ordnance deck. He shut down the vox link and closed his eyes, trying to master his anger. So, uh, yeah, we they have this little. Sections quite good. It's like, get down to engineering, find out what's going on. Um, oh, my lord, we're at engineering. The enemy are here. They're moving through the ship as if they know every tunnel and access conduit. Um, my squad is moving in to eliminate, and then there's an explosion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Ixthalian then tries to do his um, chaplain bit and bring the idiot Zagiel to bear. You're a fool. You've mucked it all up. And then we see that Zagiel is not the fool that he's been portrayed as. And yeah. just. Slices him. Just him, cleans him. Bang. Yeah. He is a badass. Yeah, he, might- he basically bows his head. Ixthalian's like, you're just, he's bows his head. All right, you got me. And as soon as he lowers his defenses, whoop, chopped you Jeff. Ha ha, fooled you. But Rex, Rescue, Rescue's got them pinned in. He's got the loyalists pinned in. Yep. In a tunnel that is a dead end. Yeah, he's got. Hey, so you know, he should just leave him there with his guys. You guys finish this. I'm gonna go back to the. Bra- I mean, that's just, that's what you're expecting the whole time. But he's got him pinned down. Okay. And then, <laughs> I lost. Where's uh, Where's Volcan? Uh, I lost sight of him. I was, watch- I was watching the space wolf and the ultramarine. What were you doing? Exactly. No one. You're not watching the world eater. Exactly. Where is he? And then, of course, is well. Where is he? I'm right here. It's like he's right, he snuck up behind you. They all die. The hunters had suddenly become the prey. All righty. So uh, let's see. Yeah, determined to inflict as much damage as possible en route to the main reactor, the three Astartes had moved through the secondary reactors, systematically wrecking them as they went. Already, Reactor 3 had shut down, and several coolant pipes tore free on its uh, tore free of its side, and its crews scythed down with bolter fire at the dead man's handles. Yeah, I mean, what I like is uh, once the first reactor's gone down, is they haven't just thought, I know what, we'll put every single person we've got on the reactors. Well, I mean, you know, what's the most important part of the ship? Well, they, you know, they but they I, sent everybody to stop the little group, and they didn't do it, so maybe they did, you know. Zedkiel's too busy upstairs stopping a mutiny, so. 
And he has no one competent underneath him. Of course, well, he doesn't let anyone be competent. The one guy started doing well, he sent him off to die. I mean, anyone. I mean, you challenge him, you die. At least Sad Kiel's got to the point where it's like, it will do you no good. Um, hound them from up here. I'm going to press on to the main reactor and intercept them. So he's, he's worked it out. He's got there in the end. Yeah. Uh, well, meanwhile, back on the other ship, Motep is still fighting him. And basically, this just comes down to this one thing. You think you could kill me? He's like, I'm not trying to kill you. What are you going to do? You've been here too long. So he goes, you know, uh, basically, he's cut him up enough that he's leaking out too much. He's losing too much of his essence. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of turning gelatinous, as they ex- explain it. Um, so, so yeah, I wasn't trying to kill you. Just keep you here long enough. And then he shoves a grenade in his chest. Yep. Because, well, because he's t- kind of gelatinous now. Now that he's not so solid. It's right. Yeah, he's fading out. So this will just blow him into little separate pieces that can't hold together. <laughs> and he actually calls him puny human. <laughs> puny human. I will feast upon you. <laughs> this is like an evil dead too. I'll swallow your soul. I'll swallow your soul. Swallow this. <laughs> Boom. Take him out. So now he's done, and then Emotep collapses because he's, you know, he's about, that whole ship's going to go up, so he's going to die. He killed the demon. It's all going down. The, the, the Wrathful's caught in the moon's gravity well. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. But what's the point? So he caught the demon and sent him back to the warp? Before what? Like, where's the demon? Is the demon going to go back to the abyss and stop these guys? No, he doesn't even, like, Ma- he's just eating. The, seriously, he would have sat there feasting on souls, and the ship would have gone down. Or he would have gone back to the warp. On his but, own, or whatever. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. We don't know that, but yeah. It, or maybe, kept, yeah, probably wouldn't have gone back to where if he didn't have to. He would attack McCrag, but... Kept him there. Yeah, he kept him busy until he could get rid of him. And then the main reactor's going on, and they're all getting there. Uh, and then, wait, what is this? Yeah, they see him there. We're honored in the world. Okay, he goes over. It's going to be suicide. You know, it's, it's just the whole. Because, no, it wasn't suicide up to this point. Yeah. Didn't he say none of us are going home? Did he say, stop, that's suicide. As, as opposed they, to what? As soon as they went, I've got a plan. We're going to sneak into that ship. It was suicide. Exactly. <laughs> now they're We're going to blow up the ship from the inside. What exactly did anybody think was going on? So he gives them a belt of melta bombs. And uh, he's taking all the st- all the weapons from Bringar. Yeah. And uh, oh come on! And then he goes, hand him over. Not for you. And he punched the ultramarine hard in the battle helm. He was half stunned. For this. Both of us need not die here. Avenge me and your legion. Uh-huh. So you get the whole, you know, the event. You get that honorable guy going. You know, yeah. you could do this one right thing by me and make it right between us. That's basically, you know, he, he gets the ch- he's giving Cestus the chance to make it right between them. <sighs> Meanwhile, yeah. Skrull's fighting. It's more fighting, you know, he's shooting people, he's hitting people, he's chopping people up. Um, and I love this. Uh, his, you know, Zadkiel screamed in pain as his bolt pistol was cut into. Three of his fingers sheared off. The world eater's legs are collapsing beneath him. His spinal cord was severed. So yeah, he's getting chopped up, but he get, manages to get all the way up to. Yeah, he Zed- almost he almost screams freedom. 
I am no slave, which is the same thing. Could have been free- freedom. <laughs> You've never been anything else. And then he puts the sword right through his eye. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's good to see Zakiel being really good at something. And it was an, it was a good way for Skrull to die. You sometimes forget the. And I think I said it in the last episode. You forget that the word bearers at times are space marines. Yeah. Because they're this weird, all-talking, praying, blabble, blabble, and they come across as such wusses. I mean, compared to the other space marines. But it, yeah. a, it happens with the Alpha Legion as well because of the way they fight their wars. People forget that they can be just kick-ass space marines as well. Yeah. So then he and kills it, him and says, now go get the other ones. It happens the other way as well. People forget that world eaters can be clever and, and everything else. Yeah. So Cestus looks around after he gets up because that, you know, all the stuff that happens to him, bring our punches him once in the side of the head and he's knocked stunned, which I thought was funny because when they were fighting in the other fights and he got punched in the head without his helmet on, he was fine. Yes. Yes. Oh, Damn yeah. you, Bringar. He bellowed. He's yelling, yelling over the, the, the edge at him. Damn you. And so, playing Cestus. Yeah, um, <laughs> Harry! Yeah. Harry! <laughs> this is, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we missed the bit where uh, Cestus cut another door open with a power weapon. But, you know. Okay, right. Leading but so, a- yeah, Cestus is going to the shuttle bay. Yeah. Because apparently it might not be a suicide mission. Absolutely not. Uh, and then Bringar goes through everything, chops up everything, rips and bites and claws through all the hoses and the pipes and the everything he gets in there yeah I like the end he's got the melt bomb around his waist um, which they tend to work when you see melt bombs described they can yeah the, the way they work is very it fluctuates occasionally but um, yeah so he's because he's struggling and he just steps off the platform with a metal bomb around him. Yeah, they're all primed. He 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 primes them all and then just steps off. And then and and goes back into that dream world where he's right at the end, you know, he's Bringar took his spear and dived into the ice cold waters. It was a good death for Bringar as well. Yeah. Light was right. rising on the horizon. The storm receded. As he swam, he felt a strange sensation. He felt as if he was going home. Oh uh, yeah, proper cheesy again. It's yep. good. And then at the then then basically the ship the it, the explosions happen. I mean, that's what you expect. Everything starts blowing up. Oh, no, this is blowing up. That's blowing up. Uh, the hull gives way. The inner skin breaches. Vacuum-frozen fuel bubbled out of the wounded flank. Zedkiel crawled away from the destruction as his ship began to destroy itself from within. He reached the portal, sealing it shut before the few survivors of his squad could get through. He watched, curious and detached, as a bolt of plasma fell like a comet and ripped the gantry apart on which they stood. Survival instincts got him to his feet. Reaching the Vox, he ordered the abandoned ship and proceeded to head for the shuttle bays before it was too late. So he was rushing off and... Hey, that's dangerous stuff in there. So he just sealed it. Screw you guys. I'm getting to a shuttle pod. Yeah. And then chapter 21, the final chapter, Eve of Battle, face to face, and still we fight. Yes, the uh, 
with Corfarian kneeling at an altar to Lorgar. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Praying to commune with the forces of the universe, which is quite cool. He's praying, you know, we, we're, getting, we're getting that. It's done a lot less cheesy than the, than the, than the church. But it's, you know, he ha- he's, he's there doing it. We have the, the lines, um, Zagkiel's failed. <laughs> he's cocked it all up. Yep. Soon the fleet's pleasance will be revealed and Kalth will be waiting for us. It is time. Uh, and you wonder what may have been, having read later on, what may have been different had that occurred. But Corfarin gives the order for war on Kalth. Yeah. Which is, which is a whole different story in, in and of itself. But it's all right. Cestus is at the, uh, at the shuttle bay. He's going to make it off because yeah. it wasn't a suicide mission. Because, again, the shuttle bay is not far from the power reactor, um, which is handy. But um, he's, uh, he's not there alone. Right. I mean, it's, and it's just, I mean, this whole conversation. Word bearer, you're the one who I can thank for this. Really? You're Zedkiel. This will not be my destiny. And I got your destiny right here. I just, I know that's not what he meant. He was holding his weapon, but I'm just picturing him like, <laughs> I got your destiny right here. Yeah. Yeah. You're Bless. a fool. You're ignorant of the power of the galaxy. There's gods among us. Blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of, when you read the First Heretic, the reasonings of, the hatred between word bearers from word bearers to ultramarines really comes through. But yeah. And, and explain, you know, it kind of gives you a bit of more depth on this. Yeah. But they have to, yeah, they have to have their proper, as the ship's blowing up, they have to have a little chat before they fight. Um, <laughs> you underestimate yeah. the power of the word. Chalk talk is cheap. You underestimate the power of the force, indeed. Um, and I love how he stops him here. I'm an expert swordsman, ultramarine, as martially skilled as any of the sons of Gilliman. You will not beat me. And he's like, enough talking. <laughs> I was exactly going to read that. I'm an expert swordsman. Just want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 he's going to break into a musical number at this point. Excuse me, I'm an expert swordsman. It would be amazing, yeah. But yeah, exactly kind of... Does does him? Yeah, and he says, "Ah, shut up!" And then they fight, and of course, it's it it, it doesn't last long. Give so. it up, never. Kalth is dead. Your legion is doomed. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, let's see. Then, clutching the stump of his, Cestus cuts his arm or cuts his wrist off or whatever. This means nothing. This is the beginning of the end for your kind. Yet, still, we'll fight. And he cuts off Zedkiel's head. Yeah. But and then Zed- he laughs. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because uh, he can, <laughs> it, there's blood on his gauntlets. He didn't realize as he drops the weapon, he got stabbed in the side. Hey, he is an expert swordsman. He got him a shot so good that it killed him, and he didn't even know he's dead yet. <laughs> he, it felt like nothing more than a sting of metal, so innocuous, yet so deadly. Yeah, and, and then just, as soon as he knows it, that's when it turns to fire. It didn't hurt until I saw it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I've I've had that on my yeah. head. Well, yeah, not not from a sword, obviously. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> and then uh, the furious abyss is all but destroyed. It, uh, <laughs> though it gave Cestus some solace in the moments before he died, 
As his yeah. cooling blood pooled around him, he thought of McCrag and glory and was finally at peace. His duty ended at last in death. Yeah. And then you get the couple of... Just look at that. Yeah, there's a little bit at the end. I just look at um, that whole fight and it's like, well, was it was it necessary to have both of them die? Was it just... And it was just a bit of a blah end. And the fact is, you kill him and then you could have just stood there. And yeah. like, the ship's going down, you're not getting off... He could so have just, been hurt, but stood upright, facing his death. Right. I mean, at least I, I killed that mother Hubbard, you know. Exactly. No, yeah, and it just, yeah, it just kind of, and that sums up the whole book in the end, because at the end of the day, I've got to the end of this book, and... This could have made a good novella. If I'd never read it, I wouldn't have missed anything, because nothing's happened. That's the most important point. And you know, and then he tries to wrap it up with these last two paragraphs from the book of Lorgar. Yeah. The conclusion of the word is no conclusion at all, for it goes on. Wait, what? The future's written, but it's a fraction of what I'm revealing, but I'm going to reveal more. The, it, uh, ugh, ugh. Any prophecy to work has to have that kind of thing in it, otherwise it's predetermined. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's just a bit meh. And that's yeah. it, though. That's... That's our story. It is a story that that actually beyond the ripples that are that are felt later on, very minorly. Um, you know, it's more of effect of them linking back just to say, "Oh yeah, this was part of the story." This this whole story. Who knew about it at the end of the day? <laughs> the word bearers know about it. Some people on Mars. Well, and, okay. I'm assuming it that the the ship crashed on. The second moon, right? Well, it blew up. It destroyed itself. Wrathful probably would have blown up when when the Furious Abyss blew up as well. Well, yeah, so parts of it are blowing up. I'm guessing maybe some parts landed on the moon. Maybe later they found parts of it. Maybe, I yeah, don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean. Yeah. You've, all you've got is McCrag have seen this big ship appear, have a fight with this really small ship, and then blow up. Um um, but then don't doesn't the whole rest of the fleet show up? I mean, this battle still happens. Kalf, Kalf is a different... Yeah, Kalf is a different matter. See, this was McCrag. Kalf is where the main force was meeting. Oh, so... In, uh, okay, I was confused. Okay, you know what? I'm not even thinking. So this is going to send it down to McCrag and yeah. cripple them so that... So then why do we need Kalf? Kalf... Um, is that where? The, oh, that's where all the space marines are gathered, right? Scalf is the gathering of all the word bearers and the ultramarines by Horus to go and face the orc war that is right. in the system. And so they're all getting there, and then the word bearers are going to show up late and kick their butts. But then, okay, wow, I feel stupid. I get to the end of the whole book, and now I'm asking these basic questions. But then, but no, but that's part of the book. That's yeah. This is McCrag. This is a different story. So then, why are we? But what? Okay, then what would this do? Like, how does this help the whole thing? I mean, granted, I mean, you know, morale-wise, it would be a huge blow to take out McCrag. But if it's all the, the Ultramarines aren't even here, what exactly a, are we doing? A lot of them would still be there, okay. um, but, but most of them are at Calf. That's what but, I mean. It even said that in that chapter where Corfair yeah. tells him, but most of the Ultramarines are here. Yeah, it, right. Let, let me just crack on with it. It would. Right, so, Kalf is the big is ninety five percent of the Ultramarines, probably, but the symbolism of then destroying McCrag. But the problem is, if you 
successful on Kalth, then you're going to destroy McCrag anyway. Exactly. So it makes it's another level of this this story not being particularly worthwhile. Um, when Aaron writes Betrayer, there it kind of makes it a little bit more kind of useful to the story but again it's it's more of an effort on their part to try and go yeah we know we wrote this book um and we know it should fit in here so we'll try and make it cool now but yeah uh-huh. that wasn't yeah if it was a novella it could have been done because the novellas aren't part of the essential reading that's why they're in the novella format i mean this could have been and it, you know what and honestly you trim this by at least half at least you know what i'm saying it could have been a cool story yeah yeah um you get yeah. a couple of cool characters you get a ship on a mission a normal ship not the biggest ship in the freaking galaxy no book yeah. guns no you can have it be a ship with the cyclonics go you just said yourself earlier that any ship could have done this based on the weaponry it was using yes this would have been a cool plan like a pro- like a, a small unit going I- in the problem isn't the biggest ship in the galaxy. The problem is you've taken the biggest ship in the in the galaxy and not utilized it. Well, right. And is, I mean, but the problem, they, they could. They, I, I quite like the fact that they built this big ship to do this one thing, and they did build it. To be fair, they built it to sustain the firepower of what was left at McCrack as well to be able to get in and do it. So that after they got the psych- the job done with the Cyclonics, they could do it. Yeah, okay, I guess you said. Uh, yeah, so Which, scratch the Cyclonics, have it be the big gun. Yeah, but yeah, if you're going to do a big gun, have a big gun, have it be the, the cool thing about the ship. Um, don't put a stupid big book on the front of the ship. <laughs> I haven't got a problem with the premise of this huge ship being sent to disable McCrack. Uh, the, the basic concept of that idea is not a bad idea. The execution of it was pretty poor. Yeah, it misguided and um, wow! Well, I didn't even yeah until you pointed it out. It's like this story. This means nothing. No, it means nothing. And unfortunately, there are maybe there's another one that potentially, but even that's got more of an echo going forwards than this one. Um, and it wouldn't have been so bad if it had been a really good book. You know, if this had been Dan Abner at his best, but hadn't really done anything, people wouldn't have minded. People would have been like, it was a cool story. Well, that's the thing. That how many side stories are there? I mean, that's the whole point of 40K. There's a million billion planets with a million billion stories. I mean, that, uh, what is it? The, what's the one where they send the assassins? Um, yes. That ultimately doesn't have anything really. I mean, there's parts. I'm not saying it has nothing to do with anything, but it ultimately isn't a big, but it's a great story. Yeah. And yeah, the scale of how it affects the heresy is minimal right. in terms of the, the primary drive. But, but it's yeah. a great story. This, this could have been that. This could have been. And therefore you forgive the writer. Right. But when it's, when it's, not integral to the telling of the heresy. It's not particularly well executed. And it has some of those issues that are really stand out. Then you're not going to get any grace from the readers. I want except, a giant spider. And at the end, there's got to be a big explosion. Except for the handful of readers who really like the book. Um, I do feel a bit bad. I had someone tweet me. I really like that book. I was like, well done. You and the other three can have a club. Um, 
Well, here's the thing. The first time I was reading it, I didn't think it was all that bad. The first time, I knew nothing, though. You know what I'm saying? It was just it was the next book, and I'm like, oh, cool, space battles. Like there was going to be cool stuff going on, and as as a guy who this was literally what this was this what is this book seven? Seven, yeah. So this was my seventh book of anything I'd ever read. You know, I just came off. Um, what was it? Six was uh, Descent of Angels. Yeah. And I was I was pretty disappointed with Descent of Angels, not because it was bad, but because I had no idea what where that's I didn't I knowing nothing about the Dark Angels, I didn't know where the story was going, and it didn't finish. Yeah. So I came off with a bad taste in my mouth, and I got this. And I'm like, oh, cool, space battles, and it gave me three very cool characters. Not, I, I, you know, Skrull, Brignar, and Motap, all very cool characters. Definitely. So with those, I, I, the first time I read it, I'm like, you know, it wasn't great, but it's not that bad. Now, once again, second time through, I got about two chapters into it, and I was just like, oh, oh boy. You know. Um, yeah, hard work. Very hard work. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I'm cool with having different styles, and some people like the book. You know, you know, it is a very small percentage compared to those who, who don't like it. But cool, if you like the book, you like the book. That's great. You know, I'm I'm happy for you. At the end of the day, uh, as as I've said before, there are Horace Heresy authors and people involved with it who hate this book. Um, I do have a couple of friends who said they kind of want to read the hardback when it comes out to see what they change. So again, hopefully if you do that, please um please let us know. And hasn't the unabridged audio of this come out? It has and uh one of the editors that said they weren't particularly happy that they went ahead and did it. Cuz it wasn't it wasn't what parts of that crew wanted. They wanted the the changed version. So the the unabridged audio is this version. Ah, oh well. What are you gonna? Hey, listen. First of all, who realized? I mean, even at this point, these books. No, at the point that they recorded, they knew they were going to update this book. Oh, I mean, recording. But I'm just saying, at the point that this was written, though. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was at different times. Different times. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, it's. Some people have read the the Grey Knight stuff Ben Count has done for 40k and some other stuff as well and some people really like them and I think I've read a f- one of the Grey Knight's novels and I enjoyed it. wouldn't say it was brilliant but I enjoyed the book. Um, I, I really feel, as I've said a number of times and keep banging on about it, that he tried to write an action movie with all those tropes that are really cool and cheesy and there are very, there are some very small moments where it works brilliantly like the the speeches and a couple of bits, but most of the time it doesn't work. Nope. So that's the problem with the book. And I think that pretty much says it all. I think it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. So we'll be doing the uh, we'll be doing the uh, listener feedback episode. Uh, well, Some point. probably I'm hoping April. Um, uh, next couple of weeks we're busy, and then I got Adepticon. Oh, no, because we normally do it just before we release the next. Oh, right. So maybe not. So, well, what do I know? We're going to release it. It'll come out. You know we're not going anywhere. No. All right, folks. Um, come on over to uh, garagehammer.net. Check out the forums. Um, and under the contest thread is where the contest is. For You still got a chance to win a copy of the 
new updated version of Space Hulk. And um, yeah, that's about it. So until next time, Greg, um, I'll talk to you soon. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say you have been listening to the Imperial Truth. You have, <laughs> you've been listening to After Illinois. You have been uh, listening to After Illinois. Interested in more heresy, uh, mainly to do with the gaming side of it, but they do cover fluff within that. There is a brand new heresy podcast called the Eye of Horus podcast, I think. Um, then uh, the guys from Australia, they're part of the WW40K crew, I believe, Traitor's Hand, something like that. But they've, they've, they've got a brand new heresy podcast that seems pretty good. So All right, cool. Support those guys. All right, and until we are back with the sorry, feedback... Before, oh. Dave, before you move on, sorry. Um, someone said they were really looking forward to my review of the Horus Heresy Weekender on the feedback episode. Uh, that's not going to happen because that'll be months away and I've already done it on the Imperial Truth. So go episode, to what? Imperial Truth ah, 13 Was or it 13? 14, 14, I believe. Okay. It's around there anyway. So go on to theimperialtruth.com and you'll find it around there if you want to hear about the Horus Heresy Weekend. So yeah, I think that was it. Cool. Well, folks, that's everything. So until next time... The Emperor protects. Death to the Fuxemplar. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Illinois. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Illinois. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Illinois at Child of Fang for Greg and at Garage Hammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect.